Hey everyone, Tom here, back with another compilation. As you know, Alpha Metallica is quote-unquote over. We're still doing loads of content over there, but the original run has concluded. And that means that all of the albums have been discussed in full. So it made sense to me to throw together a clip show of sorts. And this is a long one. I can't believe this is totting up at three hours. I kind of did this one because I was like, okay, there's only eight tracks in Master. But obviously, they're all amazing songs. And myself and the guests spoke about them at length. So... Essentially, what this is, is mostly reheated content, uh, re-chewed. You've probably heard all these before, or maybe you've heard one or two, or maybe you want to go back. But what I've done is I've taken all eight songs of Master of Puppets. I've cut out the intro. I've cut out the quickfire questions at the end. I've cut out most of me saying, follow us at MetallicaPod and da 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 MetallicaPod at gmail.com. The Patreon and iTunes is there as well. Got to get that in. And, uh, yeah just presented them as some sort of critical anthology on the album so i won't waste too much of your time we've got clips we've got all the discussions as well let me just run through and give a few thank yous first of all of course is battery that was episode 13 a really early episode with one of my closest friends one of my oldest friends ryan curley who i actually do the um wordplay pun it podcast with that i mentioned on the show before but great to have ryan on to discuss battery then master of puppets episode 88 with daniel edwards really happy with this episode um you know daniel I don't think we'd really spoke, as with most guests, you know, we sort of emailed you into the show, da da da. But I was thinking in the back of my mind, like, this is, you know, this is a big fucking episode, Master Puppets. We really have to not explain out the park. And Daniel brought it, like, he brought tons of notes and some real kind of prescient insights. So um, thank you to Daniel there on the second episode. That was number 88. The third episode was The Thing That Should Not Be with Jason K. Great to have Jason on the show. That was number 139. Welcome Home Sanitarium, most recent episode. Just did that with uh, Andreas. Placasis. I hope I'm saying that right, Andreas. Apologies. That was Welcome on Sanitarium, as I say. Number five was Disposable Heroes with Nick Graham. And it's weird how you sometimes remember where you are with certain episodes. Because I remember, um, I think this was recorded around Christmas time in my parents' home in Birmingham in the lounge or something. But I uh, don't know why I'm throwing that insight in there, but it's Alpatalica after all. Number six was Left Messiah. That was episode 81 with Aiden Conley. Aiden was on the show, I believe, before when we did the Cunning Stunts review, which was really fun. Definitely go check that out. My man Andre Vasilenko, like, Jesus, what a Metallica vlogger this guy is. What a musician this guy is as well. Had him on early for All Nightmare Long. I think we did a discussion as well of just Metallica in general. But I had to because he worships Cliff. He kind of is Cliff reincarnate in a certain way, technically, and hair length, and uh, with, with that kind Kind of, kind of mystical hippie bent and we did Orion with the seventh track on Master of Puppets there's a long discussion there on Orion episode 108 and finally Damage Inc Damage Inc with Kieran Hughes really really fun chat as well with Kieran that's number 32 so um yeah guys enjoy let me know what you want me to compile next let me know what you want me to explore next in terms of Metallica you may have noticed that we're doing these bigger, longer uh, biographical pieces. I'm also wanting to get more into, um, you know, concert reviews and, you know, there's tons of stuff we haven't covered with the band. If there's anyone you want me to interview that's associated with them. And maybe branch out a little into just wider music tastes as well, like my top 10 guitar solos that are not Metallica or albums or, you know, whatever. All that sort of stuff I find a lot of fun to put together. So um, let me know. Inspire me. This has been Tom. Alpha Metallica, follow us, as I say, at MetallicaPod, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Patreon is there, iTunes is there, Spotify, all that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, let's get into Battery.
are here to talk about Battery from mm. from Master of Puppets. I mean, just before we get into the song, General, this era of Metallica, you're a big fan. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, coming out of Kill 'Em All, I think is where they really like became themselves. Mm. Obviously, they were very thrash at the time, but Metallica is sort of a genre in its own, isn't it? So, mm. I think coming out the two albums afterwards, um, and Master of Puppets, of course, is like their big album, isn't it? And I yeah. think it is. It is pretty much perfect. I think I don't think there's anything that I could say about the album that's particularly bad, or you know, it's 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 pretty much flawless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, battery included. I think I love this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> just just to play devil's advocate, um, the thing that should not be not one of my favourite Master of Puppets songs. Um, oh no, that's true. I don't mind that song actually. I quite no, like it. No. It's got a bit of a, a lame charm to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it's fine. It's fine. But I think battery, yeah, is definitely one of their best as i was saying in the intro you know really massively um impressive song and i've actually been reading mick wall's biography um of metallica which is absolutely fantastic and he speaks about um sort of the era of them writing this song and he states that um lars and james would jam in their garage together uh mm-hmm. quote roughing out early demos before inviting cliff and kirk down to jam along with some ideas of their own um and you know they're saying as well how if you look at the credits of the songs, there's lots of different combinations of authors. There's lots of like, you know, Hammer, Ulrich, Burton, Hetfield compositions or something like that. But anyway, there's only two songs in a very Lennon and McCartney way that are just Hetfield, Ulrich on Master of Puppets. That is Leper Messiah and Battery. Oh, right. Two kind of similar songs. Yeah, yeah. Kind of very riffy driven. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very sort of heavy and sort of in your face, and they both follow a kind of a similar structure as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think, I think that's fair. They've definitely got a certain jaggedness to them. Like, I, um, apparently, it, this this got the nickname of like this some Ennio Morricone thing, you know, sort of ecstasy of gold, kind of classical uh, scope that it was going for. Um, you know, it's it's absolutely absolutely crazy this song. And for me, it's it's that intro. I don't know about you, Ryan. Like, you know, that kind of very it's it's tense but beautiful. That droney acoustic intro. Oh, oh, I love it. It's so cool, and I love the way that it built. In fact, it's it's the perfect song to like uh, mess around on a loop pedal with because you can just build it up layer by layer. You can do it piece by piece. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is, and it's so. You said they came out that Kill 'Em All era, and it is amazing. You know, this came out like what two years after Kill 'Em All, or something like that, maybe even less. And just, it's really sophisticated, not only sonically in the way that, like, you know, the intro <laughs> just sort of in a very eighties way, but in a very satisfying way, it gets more and more and more epic. But just the very sophisticated sort of classical playing that's going on. It's very tasteful. It's very accessible to an eighties metal audience. It's nothing too Django Reinhardt esque, but it's like great melodies that really kind of like you know it's volcanic at the end yeah yeah and it really is it, you say volcanic where it is the, the intro is really building building up that pressure and then all of a sudden you have the heavy guitars but it's still sort of classical and sort of sway almost waltzy it's kind of you know swaying back and forth and mm. then out of nowhere you have that eruption of the beginning of the, the actual heavy riff yeah 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 it's yeah it's unbelievable and there's a fantastic book actually that i don't think i think i've told you about this ryan but i've definitely mentioned this on the podcast quite a few times this is back to the front it's like a sort of coffee table book that's a history of metallica in this era this sort of 86 master of puppets era essentially um sort of opening and closing with kirk's uh, with with cliff's death 
Um, uh, but it's really, you know, brilliant book. I have to show it you next time we meet up. It's a great, great Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really, really good. And they speak in depth about the songs of this era, which are the master um, songs. And uh, Kirk Hammett says of Battery, quote, The first time I heard the Battery intro was months earlier at the Colson house of our friend Dan. Je- Dan. James played it on the Fostex and Dan goes, It sounds like the Pink Panther theme. James almost tore his head off. I just thought, holy crap, because not only had James doubled the harmony, he tripled it and quadrupled it on all four tracks, so it sounded monstrously heavy. <laughs> and James was saying, James says, quote, The battery intro happened pretty much out of boredom. I remember sitting on the couch at the house, not being able to sleep. Back then, when Channel signed off at night, they played the national anthem, but Channel 4 in the Bay Area played the classical piece, Fauvray's Pavan. It was such a great melody. I'd grab an acoustic play along and eventually wound up with a chord progression that got me thinking, what would be the ultimate intro? I wanted something with a lot of build that would raise your hair up and give you goosebumps. The acoustic park starts and it's building like an approaching storm. Something's coming. You can feel it it starts off soft and quiet then boom the heaviness takes you to another level i thought oh man this is how i want to start the record this is how i want to start the show oh, that's great it's yeah. great that he was looking for the perfect intro and he, he got pretty close to it <laughs> yeah, i think yeah yeah i think it really <laughs> you know in the pantheon of epic rock song intros of which there are so many oh, um yeah. <laughs> I think this one, it's not only the skill of that intro that is so so good but it's also the riff which the chugging of that riff, like it, it sounds almost like it's stuttering as software. You know what I mean? It kind of sounds not off key, but it's just it's so like you know Metallica do their songs. Think of Cyanide in the chorus, for example. It's quite lazy and groovy. This is just like an onslaught. Yeah, well, I, I guess which fits nicely with the title and the lyrics of the yeah. song. It yeah. is just aggression. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it is. It's just kind of they've gone past metaphors. And yeah, like, yeah exactly just... there's no dancing around the issue anymore no, it's no. just all about punching you in the face <laughs> and it's the you know the, the riff is exceptional but also it, it's the lyrics which which are a very strong point in metallica and they have this poetic cohesiveness to them you know uh, lashing out the action returning the reaction weaker ripped and torn away um just just powerful kind of you know words that come at you there in a sort of convincing diction and like the weight stops as well with the smash it through the boundaries look like you know it takes a breath and then you have the gang vocals of battery coming in oh, yeah i love that I, I, to be honest i think some of the later metallica lyrics are kind of lame especially the load reload kind of era, right, and, right, right. especially saint anger right. this is like this is the first time i've actually read the lyrics because mm. i'm I'm really bad with lyrics. I'll just sing the syllables I think it should be when I'm in in the car or in my room or something. Um, But this is the first time I've sat down and and read them as sort of a paragraph, and it is awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. Love it. It's pounding out aggression, turn into obsession, cannot kill the battery. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crushing all deceivers, mashing non-believers. Yeah, as well. Mashing, <laughs> I love that it's mashing non-believers. <laughs> Never-ending <laughs> potency, feeding off the weaker, hungry, <laughs> violent seeker. That is my favourite lyric in the song. Never-ending potency. I think yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- yeah, it's brilliantly, brilliantly done. And I don't know if James did it in this song, but apparently Lars would say one of James's things would be he come with riffs and then sort of melodies would be da 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 like you wouldn't have lyrics he just sort of know what sort of where he was hitting and uh but this one just yeah wraps itself around there so so good here mm-hmm. and the sound as well that kind of you know what i mean the sort of the, the entire the, the sound of that master record that really has sort of a nice nice kind of um palette and you know just kind of like the way the guitars kind of come about and have a certain thickness to them and i'm seeing in the um 
This is Fleming Rasmussen, who was the producer of Master of Puppets, um, mm. who's going to be on the show, actually, uh, very wow. soon. Wow, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be really, really good. And um, he has some great stuff, actually, about, this is again from Back to the Front, saying, I'm a firm believer that with Metallica's kind of music, the bass should be recorded after the rhythm guitar. Normally, you start with the bass and drums, because they're the foundation for everything, but metal is largely based around guitar riffs, so you record drums and guitar first. James and Lars would record a song together live. Once we had a fairly good take, I'd re-record Lars playing along to drums is ghost track so Lars could focus on each drum part bit by bit James would then come back and record five or six rhythm tracks for each song two stereo for the, each the left and right speakers and then one in the middle which I distort a little more than the others if you simply repeat the same tone in each track the overall sound gets smaller and smaller if you record each part with varying levels of distortion the sound builds finally James would go back and replay each track using Kirk's guitar to get the overall flavour of everybody playing along James was fabulous at that he could double himself incredible precision and wouldn't budge till he'd gotten it right Cliff would generally go next and we'd finish up with Kirk it was a very fluid process if James was on a roll he might lay down a bunch of guitar tracks then record some vocals there was no firmly set way to do things that's awesome because mm. uh, you really can't tell especially with a quick song on a battery that it's double tracked at all no no it's it does have a you know absolute a genuine kind of element to it and Ryan I'm guessing you're similar to most fans you're just a big fan of James Hetfield in general Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's got to be one of the best people in the world, I think. <laughs> and just in terms of, like, he's a nice guy, he's great at what he does, and, like, you know, a lot of metalheads kind of seem a little bit... I don't know. If I know, metal people tend to be kind of nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you go to, like, rock clubs, it's just they're just generally nice people, and he kind of... He's sort of the father of that kind of image. Yeah, yeah. I think I think, I think, think that's fair. I think you've also just got to admire, really, how long they've been going, you know, how brilliant of a musician he is, full stop, um, mm. along with... Something like battery as well is just the mind boggles how you would sing above it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you walked into a band practice with that riff, everybody would be like, right, okay, what, what now? What do we do? But regardless of that, how many times do you reckon battery's been played? It was first played March 27th, 1986. How many times do you reckon Metallica have played this song, Ryan? They must have played it at every gig because it is one of their bigger songs. True. So. They're touring concert. I'm going to go like, I don't know, 730 times. Right, right. 930, actually. Oh, was so, it really? So, <laughs> a fair, you know, a fair <laughs> estimate. Yeah. First played in Wichita, um, and then last played July 9th uh, this year, 2017. So, four, oh, four days ago. Four days ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. in, in Atlanta. Um, I That's probably going to be on YouTube, yeah, but they've they played a song a lot. But in terms of this song as well, obviously we have Kirk in full Kirk mode. Do you enjoy, you know, kind of the minor solo at the start and then a longer one in the middle? Um, well, the one in the middle is just every other Kirk Hammett solo, isn't it? Right. <laughs> okay. just, he's just wanking up and down the pentatonic style, which it works. I mean, it sounds very good. I don't hate the battery solo. I think it's really good. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Kirk Hammett, he's there for a reason. I just, he doesn't really inspire me. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. I mean, some people say... Oh, if Dave Mustaine was the lead guitar player, blah blah blah. But the thing about it is, I don't know about how you felt. Like, obviously, I know you're a big Megadeth fan, as am I. But it's like Dave—he's more of a riff guy. He's not like the greatest soloist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. He's more of a, a songwriter than a soloer. Yeah, yeah. He just kind of doesn't like. If you listen to a lot of his solos, they're just kind of like scatterbrain, sort of 
blitzes they're not as kind of you know yeah. convincing marty friedman etc needs to fill that spot but yeah the solo is okay i quite like the first lick that he does which is very simple lick but he what, does... the so... yeah. oh yeah that's really good yeah yeah that's good and then the kind of the more the kind of frantic upper fret thing you know very quick sort of slipping back into the song it gives it that sense of momentum because this quick solo like leaps up above it and then mm. kind of you know comes back down there um apparently the song uh starting point for the song um was of the an old bay area metallica concert um for an old waldorf club uh, being set on battery street um so it's kind of yeah. you know the kind of the emotional ingredients of this whole thing and you know it, it is it is just an absolutely fantastic song here and it's one of their most ferocious songs which is very cool that it opens mm. this you know really if you're gonna like maybe like a dyer's eve maybe i'm i'm trying to think of songs that are outwardly as heavy as battery like really it has that ferocity that kind of it has that kind of youthful vigor vigor from kill em all but with a sort of more intelligent mix behind it and what what do you think of uh oh your drummer yourself lars on this track this is one of Lars's best tracks for drumming, I think. Mm. Like, it, you, it's so quick, even just drumming along, like, on a desk or whatever, it's so hard to keep up with. And uh, he's it, so consistent with it as well. I know it's in a studio, so you can't really say that. Um, but I do like in the uh, the sort of breakdown bit, you know, when it all sort of stops and it goes sort of half-time. Mm-hmm. Lars is like an excited kid. You can hear it, like, he keeps the, the hi-hats going at the same speed. And all of his fills are like just like super quick and super. He's really like excited and ready to get back into the song again. And then that, that last fill, that that's just like just comes out of nowhere and then boom, straight back into the song again. I, I really like like I knock Lars quite a lot, but I really like him on this track. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that that's fair enough actually. And um, just a quick quote from the book as well about Lars saying that um, the producer again Fleming quote Lars had gone really good in 1984 he was still a bit green when we did Ride the Lightning I remember asking then why after each break do you start on an upbeat he just looked to me and said what the fuck's an upbeat okay <coughs> you, okay you can count one two three four one then start at one he'd never been formally trained when he learned to play drumming was all about fills it was just getting from fill one to fill two to fill three the stuff between he hadn't given much thought to I'm master of puppets though there are a few not up everything had improved and i think we really raised the bar in terms of what metallica should sound like as for lars he was tremendous he had the chops he had the skill he was great um i you know lars to me is a kind of obviously not on the same scale but like a ringo type figure where maybe you underestimate him like you know in terms of technical bravado mm. but to what he gives the band like metallica for me is lars and james it is i think yeah obviously they've got interchangeable bass players which is unfortunate but it's yeah. true and then, as I said before, Kirk is just sort of there to provide that sort of pentatonic solo <laughs> in the middle of the song. Hey, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it does. Um, yeah, it's not it's not it's not that promising. But yeah, I like that middle bit as well. It gets quite epic and proggy. You know, kind of quite yeah, repetitive yeah. sort of motif there. And the way it stops and yawns open and then the solo comes in. Um, one of the highlights as well it, for me is that thrash riff. That da, 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 oh, da, oh, it's almost like mechanized, isn't it? It's just yeah. coming at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Oh, man, it's so, yeah, brilliant riff. Well, I think one of the best riffs, I absolutely can't i almost like it more than the main riff just because it has this sense of finality and clatter to it that um yeah i yeah, really yeah. enjoy and the song itself um i think 
how long is it? Yeah, I'm just checking now. It's about five minutes. Yeah, it's just it's just so it's kind of uh, yeah five minutes twelve. So it's not you know it doesn't outstay its welcome. No, I mean considering it's got so many pieces and parts, and that's including the intro, which is it's more of an intro to an album, isn't it, than a song? Mm, and it just happened yeah. to tag it onto battery. So I think five minutes is is okay. And Metallica have a bit of a habit of overextending their songs, especially in the later years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. And. Um, you know, regardless of that, the song is, you know, madly, madly popular. Apparently, it's on Rock Band 2. So, oh, really? there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, also featured on the Unnamed Feeling EP um, as, a, as a live track. It's on Live Shit Binge and Purge, Through the Never. Apparently, it's on Metallica Pinball. It's used as one of the tracks on uh, on uh, one of their games. So, yeah. I did not know that existed. Yeah, That's yeah, fantastic. yeah. Um, it's like Stern Pinball are like, the, you know, the last sort of marquee pinball machines left. And, yeah, it's, you know, it's quite a big deal to have one. Um, so, yeah, if you go onto YouTube, you can see some stuff like that. But, yeah, it is cool. They've got a lot of different tracks in there. But, um, yeah, I mean, Battery, what can you say, really? Obviously, it's a classic. Um, it's a reason why they played it 900 times. It's been a joy really listening back to this song and just reliving Ooh. it. And I think it's just kind of ties together. So I think lyrically, it's very, very strong. It's, yeah. And even like subtle things, even like the use of dyads or triads, I should say, sorry, in the main riff. Like, they just, I, what is it about? You know what I mean? Those sort of harmonic dissonances can really make it sound a bit meatier. Oh, yeah. What, you mean the sort of the, you got the dun 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 it throws you when you're trying to learn to play it as well because you, you don't really do that shape ever. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, totally. And it's kind of new for Metallica and quite unique and one that one that works in their favour. But yeah, this is um, this is a really, really good... So anything left to say about Battery, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I've got one more thing written down here. The, uh, the lyrics. Mm. Uh, the first sort of, you know, dozen or so lines is all about just aggression and, you know, lashing at the action and all that sort of stuff, which is obviously them talking about kind of i don't know I, I mean my first image was sort of like a battering ram opening up sure. you know a, a huge castle gate and then you've got like assault and battery and those sorts of things but then you get to the line uh pounding out aggression turns into obsession cannot kill the battery cannot kill the family battery is found in me mm-hmm. now i think they're talking about the aggression that metallica has built up over the years um, and the, the you know the battery and the assault and battery is that their output is their the, the sort of music that they're making, and they are the family. You cannot kill the family of Metallica. Mm, mm. Battery is found in me. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the the diction, the circle of destruction, hammer comes crushing. Just you know, great mm. internal melody there, whipping up a fury, dominating flurry. Yeah, you know. Excellent. We create the yeah, battery we as well. Create the yeah. battery. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so just this sense of cohesion there, building through, and yeah, the smashing through. Just all of it, really. Yeah, is just uh, uh, astonishing. Like obviously, Master of Puppets is rightfully regarded as one of their best albums, and this is a brilliant, brilliant way to open it. Master, master. Like all Metallica fans around the around the world, we can agree that Master of Puppets is you know, one of the band's best ever songs. Like, do you, what about the first time you heard this song? Do you have any memories? 
Yeah, that was actually on the SM album, you know, when it of comes course, to yeah. Tulu, straight into puppets. And that was basically my whole ride to school. It was like 20 minutes. So it was those two songs <laughs> <laughs> over and over for two years straight. Let's get into this track, uh, you know, the titular track uh, from one of the band's greatest albums as well. And it has an unbelievable intro. You mean, it's up there with fucking Beethoven's fifth, you know, the dun 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 dun, like dun. Like, if you just did those four percussive movements to anyone around the world, they would know it was Master of Puppets. I mean, it's such a genius intro, right? Yeah, it's just that abrupt start, and then it's straight into the chromaticism, just descending all the way down. It's it's just iconic, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, that. I'm glad you point out that chromaticism, because, you know, what they're doing there, just descending, you know, seven open, six open, five open, da-da-da, going just down, and then up, and just playing with that. It's such a simple thing, and in the hands of many other bands it would be almost a bit monotonous but i yeah. think with with metallica with james you know it's this constant sense of building of moving forward until eventually you get to that you know that orgasmic release of the spider yeah. riff i just that whole sequence is breathtaking that intro yeah i think uh Hepfield's definitely the master of that the tension and release he's mm-hmm. building it building it and then he's he's building even more tension with that spider riff as yeah. well just the some of the intervals in that with the flat nine from the e to the f and then you've got the flat five as well, which is synonymous with metal music in a way. But yeah. it just it builds more tension right up to that first riff is when you get the first, I think, in a way, first real release. Yeah, yeah. Song. And I should say as well, Spider Riff, for people who aren't aware, obviously, but the reason it's, it's called that is because your left hand, when you play, it looks like a dancing arachnid. Yeah. Like your, your, <laughs> your fingers are all over the place. And I, I can remember, I can remember... When I was when I was fourteen, um, and I was really really getting into car in that summer, I was also massively into X Files and yeah. watching all the DVDs and stuff. And I remember spending hours trying to get that riff down. You know, my technique was was a bit absent at the time, yeah. but it is one of those you know absolutely classic classic riffs. But you know, there's more release as as we go back from the spider riff back into the intro as well. Like when we build up to the like the open seven eight, you know, that just comes before the verse riff. Oh yeah, um, as well. That's and, even more tension as well yeah flat five again yeah and i like i like the different tone that has as well it has uh, I, can't, I can't quite explain it it's kind of almost a bit of a weaker tone it's not got as much bass to it it's yeah a bit... it's kind of like it's kind of like a fuzz tone or yeah, something yeah yeah but but it just you know juxtapos- juxtaposes perfectly and as i say you know in hetfield hands the the raw minerals of the riff you know he absolutely excels at writing this and it is just just stunning and for me, Master, I mean, there's, there's so many superlatives I can throw at this song, but one of the things that I admire most is the amount of incredible guitar ideas. Like, yep. by my count, there are nine that we're going to get mm-hmm. through individually. Um, yep. We've already had two here, the intro riff into the spider riff. The verse riff as well, which just I don't complements Hetfield so well. It just plays underneath the vocals perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a strange uh, set of four bars as well, mm. especially that last bar. I, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a video online of a guy called, I think he's called Signals Music Studio. Okay. And it's called Metallica and the Missing 32nd Note. <laughs> right. And uh, do you know what part I'm on about? Do you know the... Yeah, dun, yeah, yeah. Dun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically he calls it the mystery measure because n- nobody really knows what's, what's going on there. But he finds some guy on a blog and he analysed the length of every 30-second note in Master of Puppets and then added together how many was in that bar, and apparently it's 21 over 32. Wow. So the that bar, is the, its time signature is 21 over 32, apparently. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's the way for me it locks into the lyrics as well. So it's and a passion play da 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 dum but in a way da 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 you know, it just fits absolutely. Yeah, it just perfect. backs up. It's yeah, like, yeah. kinda like a call and response. Yeah. yeah, it is, it is. It really sort of, you know, reinforces the verse rhythm as incredible. And something that you only really listen to when you're listening with headphones, but the treatment of the vocals as well. Like when Hetfield comes with end of passion play, you're like and a passion play like it kind of comes into the speaker from from the left and right it's kind of like him just like assaulting your senses there and his voice as well i mean you know it's 86 so we're not getting into the you know the grand sort of black album rock star tone here but i think there's a perfect meld on um master of that youthful indignation and that kind of stadium command you know i i love the way james sounds on this song and the album in the whole yeah, it's, it's kind of just before 88, the, the whole justice thing where his yeah. voice starts to get lower, but you still got a bit of that rasp from Kill em All still there in his voice as well. Yeah, it's really cool. What do you think about the sounds of the guitars, uh, the rhythm guitars? Oh, I love it. Mm, mm. <laughs> it's like one of the best metal tones on, yeah. on guitar you can get. Yeah, yeah. It's bright, but it's still got a bass. It's still heavy. Yeah. There's a lot of space to it. Um, you know, I, I, we spoke spoke to Fleming Rasmussen about a year and a half ago on the podcast. Yeah. I can't really exactly remember if we discussed specifically James's tones. We probably yeah, did. What 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 he was saying there was that he built up the tones. Uh, like yeah. it was like a quad track, so That's he had right. like a really uh, like a crunchy type tone, and then a slightly more overdriven tone. Yeah, like, like the, the the thickener. I think he referred to. Yeah, so it's like building the gain rather than slamming it all, and just on the one track, it builds it up gradually, which well works really well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I mean, we move forward into the chorus, which mm-hmm. is incredibly catchy. You know, not not only because it's appealing to sort of the gang vocals with the master, and yeah. again the silence, the lacuna that is. Dr- that is drawing that power out, but just the the very eighties guitar in the chorus, dun 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 You know, it's very yeah. very melodic, very fiddly. I love it. Yeah, that's actually that's a Kirk riff. Have yeah. you listened to the, the deluxe version yet? With all like the riff tips and stuff. You know, it? I I know they're on Spotify. I listened to one or two, but um, yeah. I need to go back because one of them's like twelve minutes. I think a master cut of like yeah, the, you know. I think they, they they play it and then they go over some of the riffs just at the end. I think it's just James and Lars. Wow, going through everything. Mm-hmm. But um, that that riff specifically, I think it's 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 really good riff. But there's one part in it that James has actually changed from Kirk's, because if you listen to like Kirk's riff tapes, he doesn't have the the ending E flat to the B to make you know like a B seven mm-hmm. chord coming back to the E. Yeah. So I think Hatfield actually put that in because later on, then in the interlude, you've got that B seven falling back to the E to make the perfect cadence and stuff. So. I think just to tie it in, so he's building like um, his ideas up throughout the song, mm-hmm. rather yeah. than having Kirk's little twiddly bit at the end, because I don't think he he doesn't really know how to end the riff, and if you can hear him, he's got various different endings. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you mention that because I remember um, Lars saying that he helped Kirk write the Sandman riff again. Yeah. Kirk didn't quite know how to end it, and Lars like a yeah. no, you know, put this ending there, and you know, yeah, Vos <laughs> the classic song was born, and yet yeah. I, I mean. Um, obey your master your life burns fast all these platitudes that he's throwing out there there's there's not many syllables in each line and it's just underscored by um by the by the wonderful playing here and it really is in my eyes as i say i mean that's another huge adornment song another bit of classic you know riffage there i i love love the chorus riff 
And we move forward. The song is a song that's ever-changing as well. It's a long song, but it doesn't get burdened down in repetition. Like, one of the flaws to me of the song and justice for all is that it doesn't come up with any new ideas in the slow middle essentially what it does is it weaponizes the soft intro and just makes that heavier which master kind of does as well with the arpeggios which we'll get to but that's kind of why i get a little bit bored of injustice i think maybe there's one too many verses but namely there's no movement in the middle that we have in master there's not much development through it no 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 agree there so we get to three minutes 30 with the master, you know, all the evaporating stuff, which again, sounds brilliant. Like doesn't sound dated. doesn't sound lame. Definitely could plays into the idea of the song, the idea of addiction and the voices in the head and, and all, all that sort of movement. And then getting into then that clean arpeggio, which really feels like a shaft of light breaking, doesn't it? It's a real breath of fresh air in the middle of the quite a monstrous track. Yeah. I, I think I read somewhere once, uh, and then I don't know if it was a review or an interview, but someone was talking about Master of Puppets, and they they had a theory that Master of Puppets musically represents addiction as well, like in a, okay. uh, an addict's day. Yeah. And that this clean section is kind of like when the addict is high, mm-hmm. and I think that that tale from the the shouts of masters kind of like falling into you know, master master. Yeah, slowly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can then, see that. Yeah. And then these, like the the clean chordal passage, then it just sets the mood. It's so it's it's to what's about to come with then the, the the arpeggios and stuff mm-hmm. but um this this section especially like the the harmony that, the harmony that james is using oh. it's, it's it's actually really colorful and for a thrash metal band like i, I wouldn't i don't think you would hear like you like so slayer or megadeth or no. doing something Never. like this no but um and it's quite an irregular phrase as well it's five bars in length with two bars of two four on each end and then three bars of four four in the middle so it's a bit strange in that aspect Mm -hmm. but um yeah could i go through the chords here please so you've got e minor in the first bar for two uh beats and then you've got d and then he goes to a c9 for three and a half beats but then on the end of four he's going to a c major seven and then the next bar he's got an a suspended two which goes to a b7 but then on the last bar he, he hits an open g as well which makes that b7 a flat 13 and I don't know if Hetfield knows that he's doing this or if he's right. just playing with open strings on the guitar. But that's it's really colourful harmony for a thrash band. It's, it's, it's amazing. It is, it is. And it reminds me a little bit of Fade to Black in the sense that he's kind of holding these chords yeah. and then and then picking them. And, you know, also I, I love the um, the legato in, in that riff as well. It always kind of like makes me smile. It's always a really nice touch. And the yeah. melody lines that you mentioned, so, so true. You would never hear any of this on any of the other big four. I mean, no. you've got to think that, I know they were all really grounded in music and stuff, but you've got to think there's that Cliff influence, the Lizzie, yeah. the Lizzie influence that they're yeah. all massively into. I mean, a lot because because a lot of people always point to Maiden as well. Like, I'm a big Maiden fan as the harmonising leads, but for me, it's Lizzie. I think Lizzie did it way better, and Lizzie were more melodic as well. Yeah. And I think even someone that doesn't play guitar, you know, when I saw them play this in Birmingham, it happened. It happens at all their shows. People will sing those harmony lines back yeah. to them. We <laughs> we we could harmonise now and do it. You know what yeah. I mean? No one have any trouble singing those. And I love that point you make about this being the high because I'd never thought of that in like 13 years. But yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And I love the sense of the the book ending. So we have the harmonized line into James's solo, which I mean, as a Metallica fan, always a treat when James solos, right? Yeah, definitely. It's it's really lyrical uh, mm. the way he solos. It's not flashy. It's it's just exactly what the song needs, and I think he he puts a lot of time into it yeah. as well. 
Yeah, yeah, you can really feel that. And certain bends as well. They're really, really throaty. They're really filled with kind of a sort of painful emotion that he's yeah. drawing out of the song. And then it seamlessly goes back in the do 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 do. And uh, one of the demos riff tapes that I listened to on Spotify, you can hear that melody line unaccompanied just with Lars playing and sort of they're trying yeah. to work out the rhythms and stuff like that. And I don't know, the song The song has no hairs on it. The song progresses so brilliantly, so seamlessly. So when it goes from the harmony line after James's solo into it getting heavier, into the arpeggio being played heavier as well, I mean, it's just a, so such a cohesive movement, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, especially Lars's drum arrangement, just if we could go back to the interlude yeah. just for a couple of seconds, um, he bookends... Hetfield solo as well, along with Cliff, because if you notice, uh, he's, he, he kind of utilizes a halftime feel and his accents are on weaker beats within the bars rather than strictly just emphasizing, you know, the harmonic downbeats of the progression. Mm. And this, I think that adds to the high or the dreamlike quality of that section. And I think a lot of drummers would have just, you know, played straight through that. But I think it just proves that Lars, he, he, he's not just playing for the song, but Every, every section is given full attention and it's just such a nuanced approach and it's the same with Cliff's playing because you know on Guitar Hero like they put up the isolated bass oh, the, the stems yeah yeah you can really hear that in Cliff's playing as well like the, the rhythms that he's doing and then when it does come to Hepfield solo Lars goes back into the 4-4 and it really just drives home Hepfield so it really it backs it up really well I think it gives it like this forward motion and I think that's what makes that section is that is the rhythm section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that amps up then when you are going into the distorted section when Lars is playing kind of like caveman drums, yeah, just yeah. Be- beating the toms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then master returning as well. Yeah. The the voices, you know, the drugs can only stem them off so long, I suppose. Yeah, it's and, kind of like a coming down after after the high. It's yeah. going to ramp back up then into the solo. Yeah, yeah and he does have this cave band. Yeah, it just feels very bass, very primitive. Yeah, and, and when they go to that F sharp, it's like that's, they, they kind of do that Metallica throughout most of their catalogue, just to build tension, go into that F sharp and then release back down into the E. Yeah, and where's the dreams that I've been after? Uh, You know, laughter, laughter, all that sort of stuff. And James singing Fix Me, and then we get into Kirk's solo. Um, What are your thoughts on this lead? Yeah, I I really like it. Yeah. It's it's an interesting opening line, because it's built off an A minor, and he's playing an E, but... It works. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm trying to find uh, right now, actually, because in back, have you read back to the front? Um, is that the big copy book? Table? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or, yeah, not table book. Yeah, yeah, no, I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because in that, I, I can't find it at the moment, but in that, I remember um, Kirk talking about the solo that they did and Gary Moore being quite a big influence, actually, um, yeah, at the time. Because, I mean, I mean, obviously, Gary, I mean, mentioned Lizzie before, um, yeah. his work on. I actually did an episode uh, a few months ago, Finn Lizzie's influence on Metallica, which basically was me just talking about Finn Lizzie. I didn't really talk about Metallica, but <laughs> um, you know, Gary Moore, incredible guitar player, obviously, uh, rest in peace as well. And it kind of playing on that idea, that sort of corridors of power playing and it is a is a wonderful solo and there's kind of odd sounds um that he hears as well i'm pretty sure he flicks his finger on a high harmonic or something like that and i know that at the time he was very much in his steve Vai bag and um i've actually been going back and listening to david lee roth's second album his second with steve Vai skyscraper which is unbelievable guitar album i really 
didn't give that time of day when I was younger. But but anyway, yeah. So it's kind of in that mode, in that sort of guitar hero mode. And yeah, I give Kirk so much fucking shit on this show about his <laughs> about his lead playing. But I have to bow down to this solo. I think in this era, you know, he was up there with the greatest. And I think it it has this kind of you know, this kind of frenzied to it. This kind of desperate desperated you know desperate sort of chaotic mania to it that perfectly complements the whole song yeah I, I agree and uh i think yet yeah, this definitely the 80s is his best area i yeah. think that's when he was really trying i think now it's just about especially live i don't know if he cares but <laughs> no no i think he cares about metallica and you know he still he loves to play that, but, his, but yeah uh, i agree performance yeah. he's not he's not he's not he doesn't feel like a student of the instrument anymore no. or he, no, I, you I think, know yeah, yeah he did all his learning back in the 80s and then he kind of just said right that's me now i'm, I'm finished <laughs> yeah 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 and i'm sure when he goes into his solos you know really he's probably thinking about werewolf movie posters or yeah, something like probably. that his uh his, his <laughs> mind's his mind's elsewhere now a bit of interesting stuff um about this song that i didn't realize that i found as right doing this song the the riff again another great so just just to count sorry in terms of the amazing guitar parts so we've got the intro we've got the spider riff we've got the verse riff we've got the chorus riff we've got the arpeggios we've got the harmony lines i've counted sort of both solos maybe we can count either solos that'll get, get us to eight we then sort of have the um, kind of heavier thrash riff i kind of really don't know how to term it it's just kind of like the down below power chords riff but then there's the ascension riff which is so so good as well which almost you know it feels like a bit of hope perhaps maybe like yeah. that kind of after high that you have or whatever that kind of yeah. is misleading a second breath now did you know that this was inspired by david bowie that riff i yes i read that somewhere yeah. and uh, i can't remember what song it is but i, I have heard it yeah yeah I, I literally read this today so it's the song's called andy warhol and yep. i will include a clip right here <laughs> So, so yeah, basically, um, this is from an interview with Kirk many years after the fact where he's talking about Bowie. I think this is after Bowie had died. He says, quote, David Bowie has been a pretty huge influence on me and other people in Metallica as well. I know that Cliff Burton and I, we used to listen to Ziggy Stardust album a lot on the Ride the Lightning tour. The title, Leper Messiah, is actually in the song Ziggy Stardust. And if you want to dig any further into how much of an influence he was, all you have to do is listen to the Bowie song, Andy Warhol, and you'll know what I'm talking about. The song was a heavy influence on Cliff Burton and that album. The intro to the song is there for the sh- there for sure. Played in a a jaunty acoustic strum but it's still undeniably there and yeah it is completely there so the riff as you've just heard is and it doesn't really descend but I, I, I mean Kirk's saying it so clearly it yep. is an homage it's not you know it's not an accident yep. and it's a weird bit of influence there that it's in that track but um I mean pretty cool isn't it the, the band are always eclectic in terms of who inspired them yeah, especially like I think they were big into art rock, especially Cliff as well. And then oh, obviously yeah. did the album with Lou Reed, so yeah. he's the king of art rock. So. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, so the song goes on, goes further. Really, no sign of slowing down in terms of creativity. We've got that the, the Bowie riff, I suppose, as you term it, and the heavier riffs as well. Um, we get we get the later verses and the choruses, and it, it, all of it comes together to a wonderful thing. You know, the fade out as well, where it gets really crazy. Yeah. and a little bit damage ink s to echo the feedback into the sort of riotous laughter that closes it and also closes metal at your podcast as well and the kind of uh, the stabs of the chords at the end and james can be heard cackling and yeah. it's just a wild journey 
Yeah, I think just the note choices that that have been used throughout the song. It's, it, it, I think it's really well thought out, mm-hmm. and the, like it. You know when Metallica talk, if you've ever heard James talk about how they write songs, they all get the riffs together and then they kind of string them together. I, f- I feel as if Puppets was a bit further than that. It's like it's these they've got these ideas, but they've made them into like this cohesive development throughout the track, the, the way that they've changed some of the riffs from some of the tapes to fit the whole song. And there's like this common thread that remains throughout. I think it's... If you excuse the pun, masterfully composed. <laughs> it is it, no, it, it, true. I will excuse that certainly. Like I have to excuse man unkind. Yeah. I'll have to. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to look past that as well. But 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 yeah yeah completely agree. And it, it, it is just a, a monumental fucking song in every yeah. sense of the word. Um, it was actually released as a single in France. The only place was it? it was released, yeah, on July second, nineteen eighty six. Um, apparently, it's also issued as a promo single in the US, but as an actual sort of single, single in France. And James would say of the lyrics that it deals pretty much with drugs, how things get switched around instead of you controlling what you're taking and doing. It's a drugs controlling you. Uh, apparently, the song was also Cliff's favorite song on the album. He was quoted as saying that when it was released. I mean, let's focus on the lyrics um, a little bit for you, Dan. What yeah. do you think? What do you think? Yeah, they're interesting. Um, have you seen Absent, the the film that James was in about absent fathers? I no, I've not heard of that. There's uh, well, there's his part in the film is on YouTube. I think it's only like thirteen minutes long. It's it's bad quality. Whatever, whoever ripped it, but it, you can still watch it. It's basically yeah. an interview of him about his how he lost his dad, okay. well, when his dad left and stuff. And I think in that, uh, or it might be something else, but I think it's this, that lyrically Hepfield admits that in those lyrics he was pointing the finger out at the world, but then throughout what he went through through his addiction and his therapy and stuff, that he actually realised that it must have been his subconscious that was actually projecting his shit out onto the world. Hmm. And how he could then go back and look at his lyrics and how he could relate to his own story through his lyrics when he thought he was soapboxing. So it's pretty interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah, n- never heard of that documentary. Just on IMDb now, it came out in 2010. It, uh, Metallica frontman James Hetfield, champion boxer Johnny Tapia, and a diverse mix of people confront parental abandonment in a yeah. moving documentary on a spirit-crushing phenom- phenomenon that leaves anger, alienation, and longing in its cruel wake. And yet, yeah, it's on YouTube, so I'm definitely going to watch that afterwards as well. And, um, I mean... You know, a lot of metal bands, their bread and potatoes is drugs and the effects yeah. of drugs, be it celebrating him or damning them. doesn't really come up in Metallica too much, but I feel like James is sort of putting his definitive opinion and spin on it. Yeah, I think uh, I read an interview from when, before they recorded Puppets, that he was at a house party somewhere in San Francisco and he actually walked into the guy shooting up and how he found it so disgusting. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so he, that's where the idea from the song came from. But then, with his own addiction, looking back, it's kind of came full circle on him. Sure, sure. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's it's about addiction more than more than drugs yeah. or or anything like that. Yeah, and again, in back to the front, I can't won't be able to find the quote, but I remember them saying at the Metalla Mansion, you know, James would would just drink, and I think someone offered him like a spliff or something like that, and he got high and he went crazy, and you know, he just couldn't deal with it as as some people are like so with that. But but yeah. Lyrically, um, you know, again, the song is absolutely fantastic. The idea of Master of Puppets, the marionette, you know, the sort of hidden hand controlling everything is such a brilliant metaphor for addiction and um, the imagery as well. And even like end of passion play, like that's kind of like how a fucking Shakespearean soliloquy would start. You know, it's kind of contrived, but I love it. 
that's interesting that you'd say that because I just read something there before we came on. Mm. Uh, there's some guy who did like a metaphorical analysis of the lyrics, right? And he he interprets that as the passion plays and like you know the Shakespearean thing, all of life yeah. is just a stage, and that that we are being played. So maybe in this instance, it's the drug that's being the player. It's pulling the strings. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, constantly, you know, James is inhabiting this persona of the substance. Taste me. He's offering, you know, I'm killing you. Crawl faster. Twisting your mind as well. Um, Smashing your dreams has always been a little leaden to me. But but I'm being majorly nitpicky because I do adore this song. But um, yeah, I'll hear you scream as well, inhabiting all this sort of idea. Uh, The natural habitat of hell, never-ending maze, drift on numbered days, your life is out of season. And, you know, James is is on a tear in this song. And I think, um, you know, he's absolutely terrific here. And, um, yeah, so this song was ranked the third greatest heavy metal song ever by VH1. I don't know what credence VH1 has, but there you go. (laughs) Um, Martin Popoff, who is a great friend of the show, he's an unbelievably gifted rock writer, rock historian, Canadian, done loads of books on Metallica and Rush and Van Halen, and had him on the show very early on, actually. We discussed Am I Evil? I think that's episode five, so that was really, really cool. Um, He did a book. He did the top 500 heavy metal songs of all time, and Master of Puppets was ranked as number two. Take a guess at what number one was. Tough question. It's quite an obvious one when you think about it. What band was it by? Sabbath. Oh, Black Sabbath. Then. Yeah, it was actually Paranoid. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. Which, which I mean, was like, I think that was written on the day in the studio or something like yeah, that. And it kind of <laughs> kind of feels like it in a good way. But like, you know, even, you know, when you play the riff and it's like where your fingers are, it's like, of course I hammer on 7979. It's just like, yeah. you know, Tony, we didn't want to move those fucking nibs. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was ranked number one as well. And it totally, you know, it's been ranked number one everywhere on fucking hundreds of uh, yeah. magazines. But um, any more thoughts on the song? Um. No, I can, I just I can, you can just understand why it is such a fan favorite. It's it's just yeah. genius writing. It is it is yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, and I pr- I think it's their most played song live. I'm pretty certain it is. Yeah, thanks. So. Let me yeah. just get the stats up exactly when they were um when it when it's been used. But but yeah, I mean it makes sense as well. I think yeah, um, even, even when they were doing the by request, I think Lars thought people were going to choose some deep cuts. But it was basically just a normal set list, like Sandman. Yeah, it was pop every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, let's get a look here. Yeah, um, it's been played one thousand six hundred and one times. So, <laughs> in probably pretty much every show. It was debuted New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty-five in San Francisco and that gig is dealt with quite extensively in Back to the Front which is really cool and it was last played a month ago today it was last played December 9th in Fresno, California I'm sure it'll be played for time in memoriam you know it'll be on every show even more than Enter Sandman I think everyone wants to hear this song and they want to hear the long version. You know, in the 90s, yeah. they were doing the truncated version. That's right. Back in the 90s, they used yeah. to cry. Yeah. What was that about? I don't, I I don't know why. They... I don't know who who pulled the plug on that or whose decision that was, but it was idiotic. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be like Queen doing Bohemian Rhapsody, but for a three-minute yeah. version. It's like, well, you, you need the whole thing. You know, you need the That's cycle. The part. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, a, a cool thing as well that I mentioned just before um, we got into the song itself is that um, you sent me an essay. So just to clarify, yeah. this was an essay that you wrote um, on your undergrad degree and you basically speak about Metallica defying genre boundaries. I mean, obviously we can't sort of get into the 
the in-depth arguments there, but what's the abstract? What were you exploring? Well, there was a couple of researchers who were at the start, they were talking about how people tend to associate musical genre with certain instruments and how they can be genre specific or they can be perceived as genre specific. Mm -hmm. So if you go into the Metallica's later catalogue, especially Load and Reload and stuff like that, and, and even Lulu, you've got instruments such as the hurdy-gurdy or violins, or you've got like the electronic drones that you find on Lulu. They're not really what you would associate with metal. So overall, can you really lump Metallica in overall to their catalogue? The genre title of metal? I yeah. Think you can. Yeah, I mean, it's. I've always just loved how outrageous it is that they have metal in their name as well. Yeah, like, it's <laughs> well, just... I think that's kind of like a fuck you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we don't have to be metal <laughs> to be Metallica. We're Metallica. <laughs> and you, you know the origin as well, that Lars stole it from his friend uh, yeah, for the name of a... Zine. <laughs> and it's like, that's actually a really good name for a Zine as well. But um, I think Metal Mania the guy went with or something like that. So... Uh, but um, but yeah, no, that was so cool that you did that essay, man, and I appreciate you sending it across as well. And it definitely was um, an enlightening read. Now, um, as we always do on Twitter at MetallicaPod, we open the floodgates critically. You know, want to hear what you guys think of the songs. And this was the most popular tweet I've probably ever done in terms of song on the show. Uh, people really, really wanted to get into it and let their opinions be heard. So let's get into a few of these. Nick says of Master of Puppets. Are we their greatest and most iconic song? Not a note falls below perfection. When someone says, who's Metallica? This is a song you play. Plus, it makes a kick-ass appearance in Old School. Have you seen Old School? I know the film with Will Ferrell. Have you seen that? Yeah, I think that's the scene when they're like recruiting people for, I don't know if it's a gang or something. Oh, it's, they're like a fraternity or something, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah. they're running around in a van and that song's playing. Ah, okay, cool. okay. Um, Max says, simply, Masterpiece. Uh, Joe the Fridge says Pancakes Go um, Pat Paul saying Pure Perfection Ralph saying Best Song Ever uh, Bella Donna saying The impressive intro lets you know that this song will be nothing less than majestic A great combination of thought-provoking lyrics about addiction Something that Hetfield knows too well with great guitar solos This is a definitive Metallica song and an example of their craft and we also have Metallicast. Check out Metallicast podcast saying a perfect song and a perfect album. It embodies, embodies everything that makes Metallica. Uh, Triton saying it's one of those songs you wish you could hear for the first time once again. When the quiet middle part starts, it's as soothing and satisfying as it can be. Alex Finney says, at a minimum, it's probably the pinnacle of American heavy metal, edging out Creed by the narrowest of margins. Live, it has been eclipsed in popularity by Sandman, but you know the diehards amongst you when that epic four-chord opener is hit. Personally, I become unglued every time. Bob Rock saying, Puppets is a legendary track. It's loaded with badass riffs throughout. It's frightening lyrics that kept me scared straight since I first heard them. I even love the short and live version from the 90s. You're on your, you're on your own there, Bob, but um, shout out to Bob. Great dude. Had him on some good episodes. Skull of Yorick saying, the essence of what makes Metallica great. There is not a single fault in this song. James Clark says, the go. So yeah, everyone wanted to get in touch and let me know what they thought of the song. And uh, thank you to everyone that did as well. And going to the thing that should not be now, Master of Puppets, obviously a masterpiece. I would maybe say, and I'm not. I get, 
I'm not even saying this is necessarily a bad song, and I do enjoy <laughs> the track. Um, yep. You know, Jason, just to reassure you, but it was the it was the only song written in the studio. It was yes. the last song written for the record. And it does stick out. I think if there was a blind taste test and you asked, okay, what was the actual one after the rest of these compositions? It would maybe be this one. It's slightly more pensive, not got the frenetic energy of a lot of the rest of Master. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I I think part of that is because it's actually the first song on a studio album that they did in any tuning but standard. This is in Mm -hmm. D standard. Uh, I, there's been like a lot of discussions if you look at the guitar tabs or stuff like that people think it's a drop D but if you watch them perform it live it's they play it in D standard actually live they play it another step down so it's C sharp but uh, the the point being James is playing normal power chord shapes so uh, in the studio it was played uh, drop D so that's one part of it that makes it kind of stand out from the others another thing I think that makes it stand out is <clears throat> particularly in the verse riff it's kind of slow and it's it's back and mm. forth between that clean guitar and the chugging into the the back into the main riff i think that definitely stands out it's kind of a unique um song structure and it's not like you said it's not damage anchor battery or anything that really they had done in the past besides fade to black it was all kind of straightforward pounding in your face um thrash metal you know so I think that makes it stand out as well. You know, it's 6 minutes 36, and I guess one of the issues I have with the song is that it's kind of comprised of the same part three times, mm-hmm. this same sign. Okay, it is a shifting riff structure, don't get me wrong, and there's certain endings that are really, really cool, and, and right. it's very noty selections here. Yeah. But, you know, it is this... You remind me a bit of the small hours, actually, which we covered recently on the show. It mm-hmm. kind of has that gutter sludge. It's kind of slouching off to Bethlehem, that sort of idea. We get the solo in the middle it just doesn't have that i don't know it doesn't have that compositional nous that i think i totally agree with best that do. it's definitely the simplest from a composition perspective it's the simplest song on this album but i don't think you can necessarily fault it for that i i <laughs> i might get some and we might take some mail on this one but i think <laughs> if you have to choose the weakest song in the album for me unfortunately it's leper messiah not that really? i don't like it i love it okay. but uh, I don't know. For me, I I, I think Crazy. in Metallica songs, <laughs> Metallica <laughs> songs especially, I might give undue uh, weight to the the lyrical quality. And sure. I I think I do that because James is such a good lyric writer that when there are weaker lyrics, they they stand out especially. And I just I think Leper Messiah, are, the lyrics are, are not, you know, send me send me money, send me green heaven, you will meet. Yeah. The, it's it's not the deepest shit he's ever written and I, I think you're going to get into H.P. Lovecraft and how these lyrics were derived from that I just think these lyrics are, are really cool they're creepy mm-hmm. as hell and they, they tell an awesome story and they're 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 thoughtful um, now that's just my interpretation and, and my way of kind of leveling up the two songs uh, but like you said it's it's hard to find a weak spot on the album and there doesn't necessarily have to be one so, um, yeah, that's just my take on... on no, no, and that, that yeah, that comparison is completely fair because, yeah, Lev Messiah, ultimately what I love is is the riffing, you know, mm-hmm. is that yep. sort of... You that know, metal part is, is one of the best riffs that, yeah, that ex- he's Yeah, exactly, written. yeah. 
exactly that part and and the main riff as well and just mm-hmm. the way it's kind of proto death magnetic y yep. the way it plays with rhythms and you know it just has a lot of experimentation but but yeah in terms of imagery obviously the thing that should not be um is pretty faultless because it's deriving from that lovecraftian right. well um that the band already at this point had gone to with um call of cthulhu and james you know does it on the snm version a lot more with this song but he really vamps the vocals as oh, well yeah. you know mm-hmm. immortal becomes part of the song and there's like yeah. seven syllables in that and rising and totally you know he, he really kind of lashes on quite a theatrical energy when he performs yeah. it totally i think this uh, in, in in the studio album even on the studio album there's kind of an an aura about it where it's like a, it's like a mm-hmm. mood almost it's like a creepy mood starting with those first two chords that are like scary almost and going into the solo where it just it's it, you feel like you're in like the depths of the ocean right and they yeah. have that, that like kirk's wailing in the background mm-hmm. as it kind of exits the solo kind of reminds me of uh of wolf and man where the the music itself not just the lyrics but the the music itself is creating that kind of aura and the feel of the song uh but especially live yeah he he really plays up and kind of is almost acting as the character or the narrator in the song and he does that in uh of wolf and man live as well the solo is crazy actually mm-hmm. I, I do the solo is wild like yep. every time i listen to it it does surprise me i do love it i mean again you know um we just just covered kirk on that was just your life and it's kind of a similar solo in the sense it's kind of sets of notes together it's not kind of a convincing narrative it's just these you know cthulhu like wails and gargles and whatever and right you know there's dive bombs and lurches and pinches and there's the bit where it sort of harmonizes with itself yep. as well yep. which is very demonic you don't really hear that kirk doesn't really do that like so i like that you put that in there and like you say again the fact that the guitar remains <laughs> in the song it's almost like cthulhu has fucking raised his head above the water but mm-hmm. he's still around you know he's still kind of in the vicinity and kirk's just going going wobble there like it's some of the most experimental stuff i've actually heard metallica do in terms of combining the vocals and guitar all like that yeah totally and especially that early on um mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah i was always interested in kind of how they got the musical influence to go this far out and, and it's kind of like an experimental song and even some of the chords that james plays in the uh in the chorus riff where the din and din 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 and din, mm-hmm. those are like inverted chords that inverted power chords and he if you watch him play alive he's like he's playing the bass note with his thumb which you really never see him do <laughs> No, it's a really it's a, unique musically it's a really unique kind of experimental song for them and it, i think it, it kicks ass yeah yeah it's it's completely you know left field on the album mm-hmm. in their career for the most part they yep. don't really do this sort of long form chugathon that's right. just morphing at will and again incorporating all that um lovecraftian imagery throughout which in case people were interested um i believe it's the song content references um, The Shadow of the Innsmouth, which was written in 1936. And it was the only Lovecraft story released as a book when he was alive. He was one of these figures, you know, Emily Dickinson's who got famous a lot later. But the actual title, I think, comes from another story. I think it comes from, like, the beasts of something. They're called the things that should not be. And that's a very Lovecraftian idea about kind of a beast that is so monstrous from a different reality that you, li- you literally cannot comprehend it. You only see a part of it or you see just pure madness, you know you see it for what it is so yeah awesome topic for Hetfield to dig into and obviously all nightmare long and um you know so many of those songs as well dream no more who could forget dream no more i've tried to but uh dream no more still exists as well and th- they love doing this and they'll probably do another lovecraft song it's just a great side to metallica isn't it that they have this kind of literary bent like not many bands do that yeah it's it's totally awesome and it was you know 
it, it was Cliff that got them into it, apparently. Um, yeah. But even, yeah, so you know, on the latest album, it's so awesome that they continue this thread of, you know, like this Cthulhu mythos. Like, they're still so into it and, uh, like, telling stories about it from a different perspective. It's it's really awesome. And I, if you look at, uh, like, I did some research on Lovecraft, like, a while ago, trying to figure mm-hmm. out, like, what the fuck these lyrics are about. And, yeah, yeah it, it sounds like it is, it's referencing, like, different, a, a few a bunch of his different stories um and some of them are like kind of exact quotes taken and some of them are are more like their interpretation but um yeah it, yeah it's, it's it's totally cool how they were influenced by that and it, it it does read or play like a like a horror story when you're listening to it it really does and it, it shows you know their taste like i don't like i like i like lovecraft okay i don't know how big he was uh, in the 80s when this came out but now he's obviously massive for mm-hmm. so many reasons kind of because metallica to a certain extent like i myself i remember being on amazon um you know when i was younger i used to be really i kind of am still but really into literature and that sort of stuff and poems and whatever and i remember in my like recommended it was like you might like the call of cthulhu by H. <laughs> lovecraft and i was literally like, that's a fucking metallica song like in the same way that i saw for whom the bell tolls by right. hemingway i was right. like what you know so it kind of forces you in a way uh you know and i bought those books and read those books and you know do really like lovecraft to this time but um yeah in terms of influence as well on the song um i just read this i don't actually know the what's exactly being spoken about here i'll have to try and find a clip but uh, apparently in the book rush album by album kirk hammett says that one of the riffs in the figure should not be was taken from a riff in a rush song called jacob's ladder yeah i read the same thing today actually yeah. and i i listened to it and i did not hear it yeah, did you not? Okay, that's interesting. But you know, that's Kirk, and his 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 memory's going a little bit. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but yeah, from the solo, then you know, again, we have different outro paths, and like this is a song where you really need to pay attention because there's so much going on, and there are so many just subtle little variations that the yep. band like to employ. James is always putting a different sign and twist on the tail, and, and totally. Lars rhythmically is is chopping stuff up. You know, I mean, you you know the game by now. And I love as well how that kind of that hollow doomy sound that opens the track, that little motif that returns in like the pre-chorus over the heavy guitars. It's an odd dissonance. Yeah, it's really cool. And I, if you go on YouTube and you can do this for a bunch of uh, different Metallica songs, I think most of them are ripped from uh, Guitar Hero tracks, but they. There are there are YouTube uh, videos that that are just the separate uh, you know instrumental track. So you have the bass track isolated, drum track isolated, uh, rhythm and lead guitars isolated. And it's Call of Cthulhu is one of the songs that that people have done this on. But it's it's awesome to hear the the isolated tracks and the, even like on the vocal some of the vocal tracks you hear James clearing his throat. Stuff that was later cut out is, is still in. <laughs> these master tracks it's it's awesome so i encourage you and anyone listening to to search those definitely they're really cool absolutely yeah and there's stuff on the um on the deluxe box set as well yeah like uh live mixes yeah and, and the demos and stuff. And stuff like that. the riff tapes of course as well mm-hmm. which are just yeah to me they're the most intoxicating thing ever. oh yeah like, i love hearing it's that a gold pure... mine. yeah that's just hetfield that's mm-hmm. just some ro- I can listen to hours of that like there's like apparently 30 hours of like lost john lennon tapes like i want the fucking riff tapes from het I want, like, just 12 hours of him just riffing. Like, that's right, he could listen to it forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll regret it two hours in. I'll be like, yo, these aren't <laughs> that different. But, uh, but there's too much 5-7 here. You need to go back to Master. But, you know, the song continues. The song is quite long. You know, I think that can't really be denied. And mm-hmm. the song doesn't really break new ground per se right it isn't you know a huge sort of direction shift or you know a melody change what i do like though 
you know the song has so many things that Metallica don't really do anymore or ne- never really done like the harmonised guitar and stuff like that um, I love the sort of dead-eyed accompaniment out of the song you know that sort of weird string chug it's really yeah. unnerving that's I think that's like Kirk on a, a phaser mm-hmm. uh, and yeah he kind of plays it or if you watch him live he plays it like he plays he picks like up on the neck uh, right. to get like kind of a different different sound off the strings yeah it's it's awesome and that that main that. rhythm riff riff underneath that mm-hmm. like that's it's it's three notes and it's just heavy as hell it's like so simple it, it almost reminds me of like walk by pantera where it's so simple but it's so heavy yeah 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 absolutely i mean i don't know i would say walks almost heavier than this like i know Newstead said it's the heaviest thing ever but I, I mean, this of, is I, no. I mean, you know, it's uh, kind of heavy without the overdriven sort of. Yeah, you know. I agree. And walk isn't even a power chord. It's just it's literally him bending it's one one, note. <laughs> one string. Yeah. But it's open one. It's crazy, right? It, it's you know. It. Um, but this song, especially live, they started playing it live on the uh, Damage Inc. tour, like right right off the mm-hmm. bat. And like everything back then, they played it like a million miles an hour, and I don't think it had the same effect. No. Um, because this is like a sludgy song that I think would is best served by being played at least as slow as it is on the album. But they brought it back uh, in 1993 and the Nowhere Else to Rome tour and like the European leg. And they play it slower than the album version. And like I said, they play it tuned down another half step and it's so heavy. And, and I think this is one of the Metallica songs that, that sounds even better live than it does uh, on the it studio does. version. Yeah, yeah, it really does. S&M version. You know, mm-hmm. some of James's shit. That is that when James well. remembers the lyrics, I should say. Yeah, yeah. But when James like, screams like, oh my God, before Kirk's yep. solo and yep. stuff, and like, you know, all, all the experimentation that um, Michael Kamen and his very talented people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 89 version as well, great version. I mean, yeah, 89 version of anything is a great version. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah pretty much. But yeah, I mean, that, I think vocally back then, that was kind of James's peak. I can't possibly criticize anything that 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 they did between you know eighty eight and ninety three. Mm. That's kind of my my favorite era live. Um, yeah, that th- that version's awesome, and it has it has an even more like there's an even more of a flanger or chorus effect on on the James's rhythm, the clean uh, intro, which sounds awesome. And 265 times it's been played. So it has been played a hell of a lot for like, you know, not necessarily one of the more popular songs, but it's yeah, gone through it was, career. I mean, I think they've brought it back more recently on the current leg mm-hmm. that they're on. They've, they've played it and they've had like kind of a slot for it. Um, but, and like I said, in 1993, it had a slot. It was played, at, I think, at every show towards the end of that tour. And then in, I think, 1997, they brought it back um, and played it regularly. But I'd say between then and like 2018, it was very rare. And first before May 24th, 1986 at Camp Gerardou in Missouri. Am I saying that correct? Uh, your guess is as good as mine, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just assume you would know, but nah, nah we don't know. We don't know everything around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in uh, last played in Germany uh, this year, as you said, yeah, June 13th, 2019 uh, in Köln, Germany. So um, as we always do, we go over to you guys at Metallica Pod on the Twitter and see what you think of this song. Ralph says, I love this song, but that's true of every song on Master of Puppets because I consider it their best album. It's both eerie as hell and so immensely heavy that it should be a crime. Just a masterfully retelling of H.P. Lovecraft's The Call of Cthulhu that at this point seems a must read for all fans of the band. The performance of this song from Seattle in 89 adds even more heaviness and the s version with the orchestra adds an extra 
extra touch to the songs that must be seen and heard to be believed. Hoping to see this one, one again in September 4 for sure. MTI saying very sludgy, for lack of a better way to put it. Different than a lot of the rest of the album in that regard, which is cool. Stan saying it definitely should be in top 10, top 10 hit parade. All killer, no filler of Metallica lists. Fact. Luke saying the only track on my favourite album that I don't love. I can take it or leave it. And Fixer saying so fucking heavy. I mean... Most people, Jason, respect him positively, which you, you kind of expect, right? Yes, but there were some uh, some people echoing your. There were some dissenters, there well. yeah. <laughs> there were. I mean, That's any, okay. uh, any, yeah. <laughs> any, uh, any, any final thoughts on the track? No, like I said, I think it's cool that they went in a new direction uh, with this song. I think the result is really cool, really unique. Um, uh, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think you don't need to have a worse song on the album i think that will be my conclusion about sanitarium then like getting in commune with this track was was that just you just listened to master and just coming across it did you know it beforehand uh, well actually i first heard this track off of the uh live shit binge and purge three cd two dvd package that mm-hmm. i picked up one day from my now defunct fye which i miss every day uh i got that and uh i remember that it. chain i remember that cha- i remember because obviously I'm a Brit, but I remember for your entertainment, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, I went there a few times on holiday. We have HMV over here, I guess, a comparable sort mm. of store or whatever. But uh, yeah, brought, I bought a lot of good bare naked lady CDs from FYE, <laughs> low key. Like, on the, nice. the download, I bought a few of those. But uh, um, you, so, you know, let's talk about Sanitarium because obviously sure. it's a fucking giant song of the band. Oh, yeah. I mean, the band have so many huge songs that just defy, like defy time or era that are just these monoliths. And, you know, Sanitarium is one of those. Sanitarium has been played 962 yeah. times. I mean, obviously we normally, we'll get, we'll get into this at the end of the episode more. I always sure. end, you know, I want to look at has ever been played live, etc. But yeah. just to put it in perspective, people who might not be aware maybe about this song, like this has consistently yeah. been played, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a favorite that's stapled to the top of, you know, many lists it's adored like uh it's sanitarium andy what can i say look yeah yeah you're absolutely right and it definitely holds up and it tackles uh a subject like it it was based off of i think one flew over the cuckoo's nest i think that's where they got inspiration from it was yeah yeah love love that movie haven't read the book but love the movie and i love the whole concept of like people who may or may not be insane but are in there they're trying to get out because this is about old, like, insane asylums, which weren't exactly uh, good. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, so, yeah, love that concept. It's real. But, yeah, and the music is amazing, too, to, to accompany that. So, you know, getting into the track itself, then, the music of this song. And we have, yet again, an unforgettable intro. And, mm-hmm. you know, throughout Metallica's balladry, especially as we progress, and, you know, in, in general, but I think especially when they've slowed down a bit and they're a bit more, uh, you know, contemplative, 
Metallica can play with a very simple set of notes. So the intro sounds like bum bum bum. You know, anyone that's played guitar knows they're just playing with the the lowest string, the highest string, the highest string's got an octave shape there, and it's chiming out. Think about nothing else matters. Like I don't know if you're yeah, a guitar like- player. I'm not. I tried to be, but it, I just didn't have. Well, the I mean, discipline. you know, not anyone can play yeah. the opening riff to this song because it is just open. Oh strings. yeah, you know, you're not even mm-hmm. putting your hand on the like. You know, James and Co are so just adroit at that, and 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 you know, mm. carving out these real like when you hear that intro to Nothing Else Matters or to Sanitarium, you know, it's absolutely died in the wall there. But um, yeah, what 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 do you make of that? Before we get into that, you know powerful marching arpeggio riff that moves forward like what what do you think of those opening couple of notes in sanitary oh they they definitely fit what the lyrics would bring later it's got this creepy ominous feeling of like uh you know sort of like a empty room with like minimal lighting and uh it just sets the mood perfectly and it sets it up for what the song will become now it goes into and again, I don't mean to get too overly theoretical or whatever in terms of guitar playing. And it's not that theoretical or whatever, but yeah, no, it, it goes into something that, you know, Metallica, or should I say James, loves to do when he writes his riffs. And I don't mm. begrudge him this because it does work. And it's yeah. just something that I don't know a lot of people have noticed that, you know, what are Metallica's main free ballads really in terms of the, you know, fresh era? Uh, we're talking about Fade to Black. We're talking about Sanitarium. We're talking about One. All of their mm. riffs are made up of the same. Essentially, the beating heart of all three of those riffs, I'm sure a lot of people will be aware, is 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 the B power chord uh, formed on the A string. Uh, you know, the, the, the second and the four on the A and the D strings. You know, anyone's played this kind of chord everywhere. But when you think about these riffs, and you know, bum 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 bum, but you know, James is shifting that shape upwards. Yeah. Like, is there a familiarity to you when you listen to these three tracks? Because you know. They have the same DNA, undeniably. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely a common thread between the three. I feel like yeah. they form a nice trilogy of some they do. sort. They do yeah. almost better than the Unforgiven three. Is the, the yeah, two four yeah. three? Like, I don't know. Yeah, the third, the third Unforgiven should have been called something else. I feel like I think it was yeah, they it were just really, piggybacking yeah. off of the other two, yeah. and it was like this is similar enough. Let's call it Unforgiven three, and it's like. Mm-hmm. Eh, no. <laughs> yeah yeah and you know from so what would you make of this riff then that the main riff of sanitarium uh that, that you know that the, the arpeggio that grows as it goes on oh i love it you know it's definitely a really good very like classic riff like it, it sounds like something that like maybe a band like diamond head would probably do which of course they love and uh you know it just it just fits really well uh with all of it i think it's really cool it is yeah and you know again it's one of it's just a hetfield classic that is just (laughs) indelible from the off and really plays a nice counterpoint to another feature of these ballads as well as the two four shape is kirk absolutely knocking out the park on lead guitar and i think some of his all-time greatest i think (sighs) probably Probably my favorite ever Kirk moment is the closing Fade to Black solo and also yeah. a lot of the opening lead work in one. Um, you know, I, I, I worship utterly. But uh, but yeah, throughout Unsanitarium, yeah. he seems to have sort of learned, to me at least, 
Um, you know, there's a bit in Fade to Black, there's a bit in the Fade to Black intro solo that is the sound of new ground being broken for me as a lead player by Kirk. And it's... It's that skip upwards yeah. and that quick glint, uh, you know, of, as the eye, as he carves up the fretboard. And he does this a lot in Sanitarium where he's playing a lot of kind of wide interval shapes and, you know, skipping down and slipping and a lot of odd note choices that are very melodic and satisfying. And there's... By my count, four solos that make up Sanitarium, the intro solo, the post-chorus solo, the sort of main solo, the main fresh solo, mm. four minutes 30, and then the outro solo that kind of has a you know short break in between. But um, yeah. Kirk's Lee playing, what, what do you make of Kirk's Lee playing on Sanitarium? Oh, it's definitely one of his best by far. You know, it's, I mean, he's he's already a, a good player in my opinion, but I think this one, he just peaks well, I don't want to say peak, but like it's definitely like some of his best. Like the whole Master of Its album is like, you know, he's perfect on that album specifically, and this one is a great example of it. Probably the best example of it. And we're just, you know, it's this, it's this vintage vein, really, of Metallica, where they can yeah. do no yeah. wrong, and every riff, yeah. and every pre-chorus, and whatever is just fucking, you know, so brilliant. Yeah. And in the same way, on Fade to Black, we get, you know, on Fade to Black. I was thinking just today how audacious it is on that song, which. You know, to me, is one of Metallica's best, probably one of my favorite songs. Actually, I really love that song. Um, the mm. riff chorus, you know, there's no su- there's n- there's no words. It's just it feels just and it, yeah. it doesn't need anything to it. And no, uh, no. you know, no, no. it kind of replicates it a little bit in Sanitarium, like that kind of that knotty knolls, but still quite clean and smooth. Like I love that bit. Yeah, me too. It's great. It's, uh, you know, just, yeah, it just has a lot of lot of energy to it, and you know, again, gives yep. birth to you know Kirk solos riding through this, and yeah, again, I just mm. want to emphasize how much I'm a fan of them, how, how much how much they blossom and bloom, and really have a lot going on ideas wise, and just serve the song in a splendid way, and it's really hard to do actually to put lead playing in more of this narrative context and just you know offering up a solo i think about the fade to black opening solo the one solo indeed a lot of the playing on sanitarium uh i think is out of this world one of the things i do love as well is after the second chorus we go into the chug we go into this pure you know there's nothing on this open note you know hand like it's just absolute your know, bulldozer playing what do you make of that and you know the riff that comes out so just like it's really got its teeth bared you know yeah i always thought that that sounded like tom sawyer from rush yeah that's a fair comparison yeah yeah. yeah, and I, I think, think they even I think admitted Rush guys. Are they they're Rush guys, right? I think. Yeah, they oh they love them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I'm yeah, sure. They, Kirk, I, I think I've heard Kirk talk about them, but yeah. Yeah, he has. Yeah, so that's always great because I love that band as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I that, love that. Would have been a cool tour, like in the in the mid '90s or something. Just fuck it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That yeah, that would have been good. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't have been GNR level, but uh, but no, that's a, <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and that also, you know, that break. Um, you know, when we go into the song and it's, you, you know, um, you know, the fear of living on. Yeah, it's getting Nate restless getting now. Restless or, now. Or, or, yeah. sort of and, you know, I mentioned this before on other songs like Commando, um, you know, one of Metallica's mm. many Ramones covers on the St. Anger B-sides. Yeah. Um, you know, hearing James say Vietnam in that song <laughs> is very pleasing on a certain, yeah. you know, uh, bass level. And mutiny in the air of me as a, as a phrase to hear this 24-year-old James Bark is, uh, it's Nirvana. 
Yeah, I, I love the his singing on this uh, particular verse, especially. Oh. It's my favorite part of the song. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, it's it's amazing there. Ends there. Kill it, such a friendly word. <laughs> yeah, uh, that <laughs> I, that line in particular, it's uh, kind of got some mixed signals there. But in the context of the song, I mean, I I, I can see it, you know, because mm-hmm. people are <laughs> ironically going insane in an insane asylum. So, I mean, cool. there's a lot of stuff that I think really works. A lot of lyrics that are quite superb. Moon is full, never seems to change. You know, the idea of the light bulb in the cell, like, mm. which is yeah. just, you know, some quite. It is that Ken Casey idea that you were speaking of before. And yeah. James actually said in an interview that the idea for the song came from the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, Fade to yeah. Black worked well, he said, and we wanted to have another slow, clean picking type of song, this time the chorus. I had trouble singing that chorus, it's really high. And when I went to sing it in the studio, I remember Fleming looking at me like, you're kidding. I said, shit, I don't know if I can do this. So I ended up singing it lower than I intended, but we put a higher harmony on it, and it worked pretty well. The riff of that song was lifted from some other band who should remain anonymous. Um, I, I couldn't really find anything on this. Do, do you know what band they ripped, a, ripped them off a sanitarium? Like, I, I think they're talking about Rush. I, I, that was the... Right. the, the, the Shit. I, they're yeah, actually... I think, okay. I think, Crazy. I think that was... um. Yeah. And uh, James also says in a book that I covered with Metal Up Your Podcast, which to me is one of the all-time, one of the GOAT music books ever. I know I'm biased because it's about Metallica, but uh, <laughs> Back to the Front. Are you familiar with this, Andy? Uh, is that the book on, like, uh, philosophy, or is that a different no, book? No, it's like a sort of coffee table book about the master, like, the, the writing of the the tour with Ozzy, oh, etc. Like, oh, know. for Master of Puppets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's a quote here from James. They have a chapter all about when they're recording at uh, the Sweet Silent Studio. It says, quote, Fleming loved the challenge of really nailing whatever sound it was we were after. Where's the crunch? I feel it in the E string, but not when I'm up here in D. So he'd tweak and tweak. It was all about parametric EQ at the time, and he definitely had an ear for it. He loved to experiment. I vividly remember coming in with Sanitarium and saying, you know, production-wise, I want the drums to sound like a heartbeat, like they're alive. This was really difficult to do, but Fleming got to work with a sampling effect that was brand new at the time. He also experimented with all kinds of clean sounds and phasing. So, um... We haven't really spoke about the rhythm section, the drums in this track, but what are your thoughts on Lars's play? Uh, I think Lars does an excellent job on this play. You know, I mean, recent years notwithstanding, I think he was one of the best drummers of the 80s, although not the best to come out of Thrash. I think, say, Charlie Benanti from Anthrax is a technically better drummer, but that's just me. Sure, sure. I guess you've got to take it as a whole, haven't you? Like, he didn't contribute mm-hmm. to the Anthrax machine like Lars did to Metallica. Right. Yeah, but no. On a, on a purely technical level, I, yeah. saw, I see what you're saying, and you know, th- yeah. th- there is there is a musicality to him that uh, mm-hmm. you know, underpins this track. And I've got to give it to this yeah. song as well. For as grand as it is, six minutes twenty seven is is pretty compact. Like it's actually shorter than the thing should that should not be, which says a lot less mm-hmm. to me personally. Yeah, I think the length is actually a good like the right length you know it should it's good that it's not like longer not that i don't like long songs but sometimes they can just like i could have shaved like a minute off this and it would have been good so 
Yeah. yeah. Um, th- th- there's certain sections where they uh, extend it, like on this sanitary yam, like just to get it through to that chugging section. And I like the yeah. elasticity that they treat it with. And you mentioned before that uh, Metallica and Philosophy book, which I need to do an episode mm. on, really. I've read a few of them ages ago, but I do own it. So maybe I just <laughs> went through and sort of, you know, uh, broke them down in some internet style. But uh, apparently, Philosopher William Irving in that book states that Welcome Home Sanitary is perhaps the most revealing of Metallica songs dealing with insanity. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's about a book that's set in an insane asylum. I mean, that's <laughs> as black and white as you can get. True. And, uh, you, you know, the actual ending of the song, reminiscent of, say, a Creeping Death and just, the you know, the live show at the time, trash canning it, like quite a grandiose ending, right? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I love the ending and that ending, like last few seconds with the drums, like da 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 da, and then like da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, like it's just it's the icing on the cake. Yeah, it's just, and you know, like we mentioned before, it's been played an inordinate amount of times. Yes, ninety sixty two times. So debuted in Wichita, Kansas, in eighty six March twenty seventh. Last played this year. Last played a couple of months ago. July 6th in Berlin, Germany, 2019. It, it continued to be played. Uh, I've seen the band live twice, and, you know, they played it both times, and, you know, it remains a staple. And, and, and rightly so, right? Like, this is as heavy as this song yeah. is, which it completely is, and it has certain breakdown sections that are still, you know, breakneck and, and, yeah. and, and really fucking good. Um, it's tender and, and, and revealing and quite catchy and poppy almost, dare I say. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is one of their most poppy songs, like if you want to call them that. I mean, it's not like Escape where they try to write a pop song, but it's definitely like radio friendly out of their thrasher. I mean, all their songs get played on the radio because they're Metallica and, you know, everybody loves them. But yeah, this one is actually quite accessible and, you know, it's a really fun ride. I can see why they played it over 900 times. And as we always do, we reach out to you guys at MetallicaPod. What do you think of this song? Uh, Rick Nashtag, who's been on the show many times, shout out Rick, says, Underrated, because of the amount of great songs and puppets, but it stands up to any of the classics from the Fresh era. Dr. Bass says, Love it. One of the first Metallica songs I heard. Found a tape of them in a youth club in Sweden in 1991. Mix of about 10 Ryder Master songs. And this and Fade were the two standouts for me. Plus, I can hear all the lyrics, which is unusual for me. Rao says, Just a goddamn masterpiece of the best album ever created by humans. Followed the Fade to Black formula, which is incredibly well aged, incredibly well for them over the years. Has that slow build up to a wonderfully flashy ending. Everyone's firing on all cylinders. The echo on Het's vocal adds to the eeriness of the song. Really conveys the subject matter the song is based on. One Flow of the Cooker's Nest, definitive live version might the Seattle 89 show. Yeah, Ralph, that is a good one. Uh, the R4, which is the uh, Ridiculous Rock Reviews podcast, which is a podcast that I've been on myself to cover Van Halen's 1984. Uh, shout out Aaron over there. One of my favorite podcasts, listen to that podcast very recently, uh, says uh, a lot, says Masterpiece. Uh, Terran says, love it. I like the story it tells. The guys were young, but the lyrics were wise. Sava Bloody Podcast says, love the lead work. It really feeds off the rhythm backing. Combined with the great lyrical content makes it stronger than Fade for me. This is a turning point for next level maturity in Metallica's writing, reinforced by the entire Metallica Master album, of course. Adil says, well, I have to put my money on one for best ballad. This one always makes me reconsider that. Kirk's lead, especially during the first half, is some of the most melodic stuff I think he's ever written. Such a well-written song so beautiful and haunting Steph says that final solo still catch me all after years giving the chills even after all these years and uh, finally Master Pun says love it one of the first Metallic intros I learned fully Um, any final thoughts on this track for you Andy? 
it's just a stone cold classic in my books. It's if I had to make like a top twenty Metallica, it'd definitely be like in the top five for, for sure. Is it better than Fates Black? Hmm. You know, I by a hair, so, yes. Personally. I mean, I, I mean, so. but Fates Black is definitely. Um, I feel like on the same level. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah you know, close, it's, yeah. it's it's very close. I have to think about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, it's like that'd be a tough uh, ranking, and if I'm making my list, yeah. Disposable Heroes is, you know, arguably the longest song. Okay, I think Orion goes a little bit longer, but, you know, song in song in terms of lyrics and stuff. And I mean, put into the National Recording Registry by the United States Library of Congress, uh, which I don't Crazy. think any metal album has ever, or probably ever will again. I think it was just, a, you know what I mean, a moment in time. Like, it'd be weird if they turned around and put Bring Me the Horizon in there or something like that, which, you know, still, <laughs> oh, still has its place, but, you know, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, oh, actually, no, Master of Puppets is just a little shade longer than Disposable Heroes. Uh, 8 minutes 35 to Disposables, 8 minutes 17. But um, let's get into the song. And, I mean, that intro, right? That bombastic clatter, the open E with the power chords, like, you know, it's very simple. It's very primitive, of but, course. It, but, it, but it's so effective, isn't it, Nick? It is. And it actually kind of reminds me of the intro to Creeping Death almost. Mm, yeah. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I definitely get that. And there's, there's extra notes. It's kind of hard for me to put into words without listening to the song. But on that final chord, they add a few open chugs in there just to, just to put you a little bit off kilter. And the whole drums reinforce it. And it's straight into it. There's no intro here, really. It's just straight into that main riff. And you have Kirk sort of playing the lead over the top as well. And it just makes more such a forceful introduction to the track. Oh, yeah. And Kirk's leads all throughout the song are really, really good. I would mm. say some of his best, some of his best stuff. Easily, easily, his solo in this is incredible. And you know, he, oh my god, <laughs> often, often Kirk doesn't have much to do. You know, um, I think. Um, in the Back to the Front book, which I recently covered with Clinton Ethan, I'm always going to, st- I'm never going to stop flogging that episode, by the way. Definitely check that out. That was a joy to be on. But <laughs> they say that James recorded all the rhythm parts, you know, pretty much exclusively. And he p- used Kirk's gear to record Kirk's parts as well. So it sounds like Kirk's doing it, but Kirk's not really doing it. But Kirk is given something to do in the start where he's sort of playing over the top, you know, doing his little leads, uh, playing over the main riff there. But for me, what I love about the intro is the thing of natural beauty. Like a lot of people talk about heavy, <laughs> you know, heavy waves crashing on a beach is a wonderful thing or hearing rain on your tent roof tarp. But for me, Nick, there is nothing more beautiful than Hetfield chugging on an open E string. Oh yeah. It's, it's amazing. He's my, he's my inspiration for a guitar, which right? I've been trying to learn recently. And uh, his riffs are just so amazing. Oh my God. He's like, like it's, I don't want to say he's underrated as a guitar player. Cause he's, it's James Hetfield he's in Metallica, but like, I just, his riff machinery like you know the way he constructs these things his his right hand is unbelievable and when the song pairs down to just him sort of chugging along going along the intricacy it's just so damn tight yeah for sure the song begins effectively with this sort of minute and a half you know there's before we get into the proper song just building and building and building and then you know the fresh riff you know when the tempo goes even higher and it's a real breakneck kind of movement 
it's just it's interesting it's one of the thrashiest songs on the album mm-hmm. uh, i guess behind battery and damage incorporated yeah, but it's yeah. also one of their most progressive songs i mean not just in in the length but also like all the tempo changes like you were saying how yeah. it goes from sort of uh, it's sort of high tempo but still kind of mid-tempo and then it just goes into an all-out thrash assault mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and when we get james chugging on the opening you get kirk with a now 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 you know very slow a great juxtaposition yeah. reminds me a little bit of devil's dance which is a song that i'm not too fond of but it has that sort of evil you know descending cataclysm to it as well and i don't know about you like obviously it's a metal song obviously it's a fresh song obviously it's a beat your chest you know forgotten soldiers kind of song but the melodies <laughs> the, the melodies to me specifically the you will die when i say it's like a pop melody it's just so goddamn catchy Oh, I know. And uh, the catchiness is what makes it, I think. Uh, it's, you know, amidst all the complexity, it's it's catchy, but it's also it also still helps stay thrashy. And it's just like a, it's a classic, it's yeah. a classic sort of Metallica chorus, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And similar to the intro, it's just using the power chords, using space in a really you know impressive, evocative kind of way. Lyrically, um, what, what do you think of this track? I, I think lyrically, it's... it's it's, uh, it goes back to one of James's favorite topics to write about, which is war, which we mm-hmm. see more than once in his, you know, lyric writing career. Oh, yeah. um, and I, I just think his lyricism is, you know, he's showing his uh, his best here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe um, this was inspired by American football players and kind of the injuries they sustained and then kind of morphed into this war thing. And yeah, war is all over Metallica, you know, anything from one, obviously, all the way up to Hardwire's Confusion. Um, deals mm-hmm. with sort of you know PTSD and those sort of things here and yeah I, I just think his lyrics are really on point like you know even just bodies fill the fields I see hungry heroes end um you know if I yeah. want to if I want to get sort of pretentious English literature about it there's some there's some <laughs> you know what I mean? there's some good alliteration yeah. here fill the fields hungry heroes it just pounds into this sense of despair you know victim of what said should be which grammatically doesn't necessarily like, I get what he's going at like you know this this person has kind of befallen to authority and had no choice in it uh, and you know, soldier boy made of clay now an empty shell this is a topic that's ripe for exploration and i think metallica like you know I, okay i don't uh, war metal is that a genre i don't know but i think metallica did it so well <laughs> it's like the the sort of uh like the, you were talking about how some of it isn't you know it's not grammatically sound necessarily sure. but that's the, the great thing about metal is that you know that sort of campiness it works it, i mean it still gets the point across but it still ends up being really brutal even if it's you know <laughs> they're not the the best constructed you know, lines, it no. still works beautifully, I, no. I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, the reality um, of, of trench warfare specifically is going back to the front. You know, you have no choice, really. You have to yeah. go over the top. You have to march forward to this gunfire. And I think the cover of Master of Puppets as well, along with obviously the titular song, works so well to sort of envision when you're hearing this song, just, you know, endless acres uh, of poor men you know who have just been sent out there for what you know for, for this mindless land grab it's quite it's quite despairing and we get the gang vocals centered around with the chorus back to the front and all in all it makes for such an anthemic i don't want to say sing-along because it's quite a depressing reality the head feels painting but you can't help but chant yeah. it oh yeah no it's it's extremely catchy um and the gang vocals they're all james right mm-hmm. like all the background vocals are still i all believe james, so right? i i watched um them play metal hammer festival which i believe is a debut where they played this song with cliff still playing which is quite a rare thing really to see cliff on this song um and cliff does a bit of the gang vocals in that but yeah i think james double tracked himself i'm pretty certain 
Yeah, and uh, that debut that was from '85. That was the first song I believe that they debuted, and that's the that's the show where right before you know James is like the classic James moment. Are we fucking nuts tonight? Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. screaming that at the top of his lungs, and it's like just so brutal. And I was reading the comments for that for that video. I was watching it on YouTube, and someone's like, "No wonder James blew his voice out." You know, yeah. he's going all in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watched a version of them. Maybe it was on the Black Albums where his voice was blown, and he struggled to sing this. And I think Jason was doing a lot of the heavy yeah. heavy lifting vocally. But but yeah, that um, anyone listening that hasn't checked out that Metal Hammer performance, all in all, is a crazy performance. Obviously, it's featured on Cliff and Moore quite extensively. But major, majorly good disposable heroes. And just getting back to the lyrics, you know, there are little inflections that James puts into certain lines, and I love in the second verse when it's like sounding of the clock that ticks like you know he really sort of goes back in his throat for that and you know there's this sense oh, yeah. where we are kind of you know going towards this inevitable bodies fill the fields i see the slaughter never ends and i love that we get the thrash riff in the intro in that opening 90 seconds that are wordless and the soldier boy made of clay is sung over that like as 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 someone learning guitar for yourself nick it must blow your mind it certainly did me when i first started learning these songs of guitar. how the fuck does hetfield sing and play these oh my god yeah I, he's just like just a, such a talented musician you know you hear lars talking about oh you know i challenge anyone to yeah <laughs> play the sad, the sad but true, but true riff yeah, and yeah, yeah. sing at the same time because that thing is like it it doesn't seem to follow the beat but it does perfectly mm. but his his vocals are on, on a totally different beat and it just it, they just work perfectly and i have no idea how he does it <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i i love the fact that you know in each chorus um they say the word you five times you will do what i do will do what i say when i say you coward you servant you blind man you know there, there is that appeal directly to the listener to the soldier to the tommy you know the wipers times and then james goes inward why am I dying? You know, the perspective shift is is subtle but brilliant. And the lyrics aren't, as we say, necessarily too deep here. Um, have no fear. You know, hell. I, I was born for dying. I don't know whether I hate that or love that. I think I, I think I love it, but it's very 80s. Yeah, um, I, 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 think, I think it works really well. Mm, I actually mm. really like that. Uh, it, it works as a good sort of... I mean, it's kind of like there's there's still the verse after that line, I think, but yeah. it sort of goes into the false ending. So if it ended right there, I think that would be a perfect last line because he's talking about how he's he was brought to war and he was sort of forced into war. But I was born for dying. You know, it says if his if his fate was inevitable that he was going to enter war, you know, then his whole fate was oh, I just I just came to sacrifice myself. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the final verse is 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 beautiful. Really, I think I think it's wonderfully written. Life planned out before my birth. Nothing could I say. Had no chance to see myself. Molded day by day. Looking back, I realize nothing have I done. Left to die with only friend. Alone, I clench my gun. It, it, it's incredibly poignant, you know, and it, timeless to a certain extent. Like obviously, it's applying perhaps to more world warfare uh, rather than modern warfare, but but still, you know, enlistment sort of warfare. But still, you know, it has it has that aspect of just pure tragedy uh, to it that makes the song all the more affecting. And it's just a fucking thrasher throughout. You know, it's eight minutes that grips you by the scruff of the neck. And one of the highlights for me, Nick, is probably Kirk's solo. I think he does terrific work. Yeah, and uh, I know I know you're usually critical of Kirk, but this is a moment where you gotta give oh, yeah. him all Hell the yeah. praise. Like th- this is a really long Kirk solo, but it's really good, and I don't feel like it overstays its welcome. No, 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 and it has those uh, melodic moments where it sort of builds up, and just certain bends that he does are so playful and interesting, really hinging on sort of certain areas, and you know it just 
he was so fleet-fingered at this point, you know, what he, he was so full of inspiration as well. I think probably my, like, I remember I did an episode a while ago, Top 10 Guitar Solo to Metallica, and I didn't even mention Damage Inc. That is maybe in my top three Metallica guitar solos right now. I was listening to the whole album this morning, this song including Damage Inc. just blows me away. But yeah, back onto Disposable Heroes. The solo to that <laughs> is also very, very good. And it's just... It's what you want from Kirk, isn't it? It's him sort of showing off his inner guitar hero, but still the real sense of melody, still really serving the song, and just creating something quite timeless. Yeah, and uh, the, the, these solos are really just where Kirk shines. And uh, I, I, th- I feel like the problem maybe with Kirk nowadays with his, his uh, I guess, his not-so-good solos are that maybe he's trying to emulate certain aspects of this without sort of the inspiration. I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I know he has the, the talent and the ability still to... To craft solos like this, but, uh, but th- this is this is the pinnacle of Kurt. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. It, it, yeah, it depends. I know what you're saying. Probably the pinnacle of Kirk in terms of just pure technique and ability, and I think Justice as well is maybe even more so. I'm thinking specifically of, like, yeah. say, Shorty Straw solos and Blacken solos that are just, like, mind-blowingly good. Arguably, Black oh Album, God, yeah. in terms of, like, you know, mainstream guitar solos that kind of everyone enjoys. I think he sort of peaked there as well. Um, and, you know, Hardwired and Death Magnetic, there's some good moments on there. But, I, you know, obviously he's not a patch on this sort of stuff. But, yeah, all in all, you know, I, I, I love this song. I, I think everyone who knows this song loves this song. It is definitely one of their best songs. And it's just a real... You know, it's epic in every sense of the word. Like, whereas Master of Puppets is epic, but it has a middle, you know, s- small section, really, where the song kind of contracts, uh, you know, takes recollections of itself, has harmonies, has James doing a little solo here and there. Disposable Heroes really doesn't let up for its entire runtime, does it? No, not at all. Not at all. This is a this is a thrasher for sure. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, not played as much as I thought they play. It's been played 151 times, which may sound like a lot, but Metallica have played a hell of a lot of gigs since Master of Puppets have been released. It was first played, as I mentioned before, in Germany at the Metal Hammer Festival. That was September 14th, uh, 1985. It was last played in 2015, so they haven't actually played it on the Hardwire Tour, which is interesting. Uh, that was September 14th again, so yeah, weird, weird bit of symmetry there. Um, in Canada, which maybe was on Quebec Magnetic, Quebec City, maybe that was maybe that was later i'm not quite sure i think probably a little bit later mm. but um any any closing thoughts on disposable heroes nick um i mean other than that it's just it's just a great song uh i'm i'm really into both the progressive and thrash side of metal and so i think this this song and you know master of puppets and orion really fulfill that mm. before uh before we did the episode i was underrating disposable heroes i knew it was a good song you know it makes the record great but i was more focusing on the uh, the bigger ones as far as, you know, what my favorites were. But now that I've dug into the song more and, you know, after we've had this discussion, I think that uh, Disposable is probably in my top three, top three mm-hmm. or four you know, mm-hmm. on the album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I love the song that has sort of a false ending as well, which is kind yeah. of like almost like a live thing that bands do. But the Metallica put this in the record, obviously knowing that they're going to go on tour. They, they clearly couldn't wait to play this song. I believe they were still recording the album when they played the Metal Hammer Festival. Um, judging from where mm. the Back to the Front book happens, I'm pretty certain that was. So, you know, they clearly couldn't wait to show people this song and rightly, rightly so. And it just it doesn't necessarily have a different section like Master Puppets as we just say it just has you know riff chorus riff chorus solo etc it has kind of a little breakdown with the why am I dying which isn't too okay. much of a new riff it's just kind of them playing on the power chords that have gone before but it just yeah, yeah. it just plays a lot and I think Cliff sounds great and I think the bass and the drums sound fantastic on this as well uh, one of the things I wanted to point out was that during that breakdown I think it's during that breakdown uh, we hear Ride Symbol mm. from Lars 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a it's a rare thing. It's to be savored, definitely. It's like it's like it's like a Mewtwo or something. You know, you just have to sort of. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone referred to this song in one of the. I, I was because uh, what I tend to do. Um, I you know listen to the song many times, make loads of notes. I I, I normally watch uh, someone play it on guitar on YouTube because I just like to see it played well and just because obviously when you watch the band live, it's not close up with the fretboard, so you can't see exactly what they're playing. But there's normally a few guys that I watch, mm-hmm. and and the, the top comment on this disposable heroes thing was uh, disposable e string, which I think is so so <laughs> true because you know the yeah. song is so chuggy and it's just so Hetfield all over, and the song's actually credited to Hetfield, Ulrich, and Hammer. And I wonder what parts Kirk played. I'm looking at the Master of Puppets deluxe box set on Spotify. And I don't know if you listen to it, Nick, um, but it's really, really good because they have um, from the riff tapes. So basically they have what they played in 1985 on their little eight track. And you can listen back and hear the melodies and stuff. And there is some stuff from Kirk's riff tape on Disposable Heroes. Maybe it's his solo. I'm not sure. I'll have to check that out. But um, yeah, it is. It is. A, okay. It is a bloody wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, I was I was watching uh you know Lars's Beats One show the it's electric show I've never actually watched it I, I'm I, obviously I'm aware of it I, I don't have Apple Music I need to watch it were they discussing this Yeah uh well yeah there was uh they did an episode just on the recording of Master of Puppets they got all the guys in there oh, they yeah. got uh Fleming Fleming in there um and they were talking about disposable heroes it, I, this was just from a preview I didn't watch the right, whole right. episode although they're uh just for your information they're uh they're streaming some of the episodes free uh they're starting the master of puppets episodes uh the recording episodes uh the re-airing them i think uh not today not tomorrow but the next day the 30th and mm. the 31st they're doing that but uh kirk was talking about the disposable uh riff the sort of the chuggier riff and he was playing it and i think that that showed me that maybe that's the riff he wrote i right. mean okay the sort of the faster chuggier riff maybe that was yeah. kirk's yeah yeah maybe 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 yeah i mean it's yeah, it's a wonderful song. Please let us know in the comments below what do you think about the Supposable Heroes. Email in metallicapod at gmail.com. Obviously, it's a classic. You know, uh, me and Nick uh, feel the same way, rightly so. And I'd, I'd be worried if you came on and trashed it like I have trashed so many load and reload <laughs> songs. Uh, if you were just like, dude, like, you know, Cure is way better. That, that would hurt. But thankfully, uh, you haven't said that. No, no, no. <laughs> So, Leper Messiah, I mean, if I recall, Aiden, I think I wanted us to do a song after the Cunning Stunts episode, definitely go back and listen to that. And I think you recommended, or you wanted to get into Leper Messiah, what was that? Well, it's kind of like the, almost like the escape of Master of Puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, only, you know, it's not hated like Escape widely nope. is, it's just kind of not talked about. Not enough people talk about Leper Messiah. You're right. Um yeah. Also, in Cunning Stunts, don't they do a little jam and they play a section of Leper Messiah? And I remember yes. we talked about it, and uh, I, I just thought it would be a good idea to do this one because it's a good song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're completely right. It is kind of the the runt of the master litter, if you will. I mean, I mean, arguably you could put thing that should not be in there as well, but kind of because it's the third track. Even though this is an eight track album, you know, a very short album, uh, Leper Messiah is definitely the least known song off that record. And mm-hmm. I mean. 
it's a it's it's a fantastic song. I love this song for so yeah. many reasons. I mean, we'll get later into the the lyrical content, you know, dealing with TV preachers, evangelists. I mean, it's a blistering take yeah, on yeah. corruption in religion. You know, the preacher, the leper messiah, uses the tactics of a carnival barker to to draw yeah. in the crowds and you know use their money to feed his habits, etc. But for me, leper messiah was groundbreaking on on the guitar. It really opened my eyes, opened my ears, because it, it did two things in particular I'd never really heard done before on the fretboard. Um, so when the song begins, you know, we have the beginning, which I love. I mean, what do you make of Lars counting us in slightly off kilter? Yeah, the thing that always catches my attention is that as a drummer, and I've I've been a, like a metal drummer my whole life, mm. um, <laughs> one two and then one two three yeah. four five what like <laughs> it's so large you know what i mean it is, it is. <laughs> but it's so it's so good now and so whenever you know i play left messiah or whatever with my band or whatever we count it in like that because right. it's how left messiah needs to be done and they do it live still to this day yeah 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 um and it, and it clatters in you know that kind of riff upon riff the leveling kind of reminds me a bit of justice a bit of death magnetic like it's quite maffy for master mm-hmm. of puppets which yeah, is quite definitely. a straight ahead fresh you know you know thing so um and then we, we're going forward we're going forward and then it gives forth to that insatiable groove of that riff the dun, nah, oh yeah nah, nah, nah. and that 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 was the first groundbreaking thing i encountered so it's the dun, nah, 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 nah. so it's that that note there the the c note i believe it is on the third mm-hmm, yeah fret. it's the c yeah so so you know james is making the um f sharp f sharp chord on the e and then he's using his middle finger to play uh, so, yeah. uh, to play the note on the a i just ne- i appreciate a lot of people listening maybe don't play guitar or whatever but that's rare you don't mm-hmm. really see that and it gives it such a dissonant evil energy yeah i was gonna say that handshape is like the black sabbath dissonant yeah. you know yeah, yeah, it's like it's proper carved over the top. It's proper gnarled, and I, I absolutely love it. And it feels very Pantera s to me. The main riff. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely has the groove to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, it's 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 irresistible. It has such rhythm. It has such pace. And I love how the song feels alive. The song breathes. So the song pulls out, and we just get the chugs, the dung 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 dung. Yes. But cliff underneath, still mm-hmm. the best. Mm. That, that bass line, it's so subtle. Cliff, obviously, having so much in his capability, could do so much. And yet, the one thing that I always think of when I think of how great Cliff Burton was is just playing, you know, what is it, F sharp and G? Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. In between each chug, that's genius. Yeah, yeah, it re- it really, really is, and um, just there's so many movements in this first minute or so. And the second thing that I'd never really encountered on guitar that I thought was brilliant is the, you know, I guess you call it the main riff, the now, now, just just the way that James is playing the, you know, the second frets on the A and the D string and just sliding them down, which is almost like. It's almost like a mistake. Like you never see things fingered that way on the fretboard either, and they're just playing with so many ideas. And yeah, I mean, Left Le- Messiah is just absolutely fantastic. It just has such chasms there, it has such movement. And James on top of the song, James singing, James enunciating. He just sounds so commanding as a frontman. He sounds very confident in what he's saying, mm-hmm. and he's like mocking you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's he's so precise in what he needs to say. And I feel like he's been building it up and he's like, this is his moment to say it now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, um, spineless from the start, 
is a brilliant opening lyric sucked into the bar. You know, you play the lead clown as well. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, when, yeah. when we get into the pre-chorus as well, playing with the the gang vocals, the please, please, these, uh-huh, yeah. knees. And I don't know, it, it's, it's just very enrapturing, the song, really. You feel very tangled up in it. And it's quite a quick song. I mean, it's five minutes 40. So it's the second shortest song on the album. It's eight seconds longer than Damage Inc. Although, arguably... Damage Inc.'s length, length is extended slightly by the intro about intro, a minute yeah. or so. You know, it's quite a compact sort of song. Um, but yeah, I just really, really adore this whole number. It's dealt with such force as well. Him saying, bow to Leper Messiah. Like, it's such a. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's angry. It's really angry. And Leper Messiah, I was just doing a bit of research for this um, episode. David yeah, David Bowie. Didn't realize it was from a Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, Ziggy Stardust. He says Leper Messiah in it. Yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting. Very interesting. And, um, I mean... Another thing uh, to point out also is you mentioned um, him sort of comparing the whole situation of religion to the circus. The circus comes down. You Mm -hmm. play the lead clown. Um, That's also seen again in Bad Seed on Reload. That's right. Which you've covered before. Yes, yes. He talks, he compares it to like a carnival, you know? Yeah, he does. And, I mean, he kind of... James in that song adopts a sort of ringleader, P.T. Barnum kind of um, mm-hmm. exposure. Yeah, that was a good early episode, actually, with Dave. I think, controversially, Bad Seed might be my favourite song off Reload. It's definitely Bad Seed or Fuel, but I don't really... Somewhere out there, Clint Wales is tearing his long hair out right now. But, you know, <laughs> um, it's you know, Reload is for me. We've established this. One of the things, again, doing a little bit of research into this song, um, I always consult Mr. Mick Wall um, with his invaluable tomes. And apparently, Mustaine has kicked up a bit of fuss about this song. Oh, Appar- yes. Apparently, he claimed that he wrote Leper Messiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um I've heard a rumor of theories. I've heard people say that he wrote the he wrote the da 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 da, mm-hmm. and the most common one I've heard is that he wrote the da 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 which I don't believe personally. That's so Kirk to me. Yeah, yeah. That that moment where the da 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 that's one of my all time favorite Metallica moments. I think that's so heavy, so exciting. Uh huh. I have like a personal connection with that part too. Is another reason I wanted to do Left Messiah because um, me and uh, one of the guitar players in the band that I'm in, uh, one of my good friends. Every time we ever go to a guitar center or like a, a guitar store where you mm. can plug in and play, we always sit next to each other, get two guitars, tune them to E, and we play that part. Just that whole section. I do the I do the chugging, and he does like, you know, the strange sweeping but not really sweeping solo. Yeah, and then we both come together and we do the. We play that part every time, as long as I've known him. Every single time, we always play that part. Yeah, that 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 section is just yeah insatiable. Can't get enough of that section. And just from Mick Wall's book, so this is Hammer. Kirk laughed off Mustaine's suggestion that he should have received the co-writing credit for Left Messiah. Quote: Even though Dave might claim he wrote left messiah he didn't there's maybe a chord progression that was in that song like maybe 10 seconds that came from him that ironically is just before the guitar solo but he did not write left messiah at all in fact i remember being in the room when lars came up with the main musical motif and you know further evidence as well i don't know if you've dipped much into the box set the master republic's deluxe box set yeah yeah i have a little bit i mean it's on spotify i don't own it myself but i i I love the fact that it's fucking on there and you know there's all these things there's them playing chicago there's rough mixes for me it's all about james's riff tapes 
I cannot oh, yeah, yeah. get enough of knowing that James's Explorer is plugged into this shitty four track, and mm-hmm. you know, the tone's dope though, and he's just he's just coming up with ideas. And I don't know if you've listened to the there's two Leopard Messiah ones on there. Um, I have. Yeah. The first one is basically him kind of dubbing himself with the main riff. It's a bit dronier without the swing of the drums. And the second section is the sort of the middle section with the lead break. Um, just before we get into the solo, the but it's far grander. There's way more harmonized. There's way more yeah, harmonies. Yeah, it is. You know, it's a really nice orchestration of the parts. And let's get to that sequence then, because Leopard Messiah really doesn't outstay its welcome in any sense. You know, it just keeps going, keeps going, has a real propulsion to it. What do you make of, I mean, we touched on sort of that breakdown riff, the, the guitar center riff, but um, I love the way Kirk's solo just comes in. Like so many of Kirk's solos, there's a real attacking mustaines to it. It's kind of like, here it is. But here, it's very smooth, the arpeggio. It's very classic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, that section, once it opens up, in a down, 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 I feel like the song kind of, the mood shifts because th- all everything before it is kind of, not in a bad way, but monotonous. Yeah. You know what I mean? It repeats itself, da, 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 mm-hmm. da, the same rhythm, and it's kind of like pounding it into your head like these James is barking at you. And then the song opens up and it gets grand, like you said, and you kind of get this idea of like, oh shit, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Something big is about to happen, and which it does. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, really tasteful work from Kirk here, and you get the sense of just the song collapsing like it's so much more than just riffs and solos there's so much thought that has gone into this and it's all compounded by you know it's not an empty lyric it's a real stimulating lyric chain chain join the endless chain stinking drunk with power as well i mean it gets to the point where james is so frustrating at the end of the song that it's just got down to this monomaniacal syllable shout just lie lie you know that's yes. all he's barking so good that yeah like everything kind of just everything else is so well constructed like i said he feels like the narrator james has like you know bashing the the people of the religion and the religion itself but then finally it's just lie lie mm-hmm. lie mm-hmm. lie and just pounding it into your head so heavily yeah yeah i mean the, the post solo riff is so goddamn strong as well i mean the song is just a barrage of, of fresh bombs you know you got the the guttural drag early on and then it picks up the pace as it moves forward and you know, I think I think everyone really loves Leper Messiah. I think, you know, everyone knows this fucking song. I remember, um, I mentioned this before because we did this with Luke where Kerrang! in 2006, 20th anniversary, did mm-hmm. a, um, I don't know if you've heard that that cover CD. I have. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Fightstar covered Leper Messiah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know Fightstar? Are they big over mm-hmm. there? No, no, not so, at all. No, so, um, I mean, we mentioned this on the show. So basically there was this big band in the early 2000s in the UK called Busted. I don't know if you've heard of those guys. Maybe they uh-huh. didn't transmit. So this giant boy band, I mean, literal, like, you know, the equivalent, like, sort of One Direction sort of thing. And mm-hmm. at the height of their fame, their main guy, I think he's called Charlie, Charlie Simpson. He left, joined a serious band called Fight Star. And, I, I, you know, I was cognizant of this all at the time. And when I found out the Fight Star did Leper Messiah, I was like, what the fuck? But it's actually quite a good version i i, I think they do it quite just the guitar so i'm a lot lot gritty mm-hmm. a lot more sort of post new metal but yeah yeah, um, yeah it's not bad i no, have listened to a few other covers from various other metallica worship cds you know what i mean right yes I heard one yeah, from yeah. a band called nocturna or something like that okay it's just like you know pretty true cult black metal you know yeah like, oh yeah oh yeah pretty yeah. grimy pretty buzzsaw 
tone, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's interesting. And I've heard symphonic covers of Love Messiah, which I think are really good, very grand. I, that word keeps coming to mind. Mm-hmm. It's grand. Mm-hmm. It's it, very huge, very sinister sounding too, with the dun 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 dun, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can really, you can really soak that. The song, song translates well. It does, it does, and you know, I just searched Left Messiah actually on Spotify, and it looks like there's at least ten bands that have covered this. Obscura Luminosa, a band called Insano, uh, the, do- <laughs> the Dogs Divine, the Scorched Earth Orchestra, who apparently have an album playing orchestral versions of Metallic. Oh, they played the whole uh, Master of Puppets in an orchestral version. That's quite cool. So yeah, little f- that's a little fun thing to do if you want to while away a Saturday afternoon. Just search a Metallica song on Spotify and go for all the covers. But yeah, I mean, this this is Left Messiah. Everyone fucking knows that Left Messiah rules, and it's been played it's so good. 117 times live by the band, so quite often. Yeah, they, good number. Yeah, they first performed it in 1987, uh, August 20th, uh, that was in London, England, and they last performed it October 27th, 2018, in Buffalo, New York, so they last performed it less than a month ago, you know, it's still yeah, in the yeah. sets, people still want to hear this song, I mean, any anything else to share on Left Messiah? Um, one thing too is to mention is during the da 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 na na, um, the drums kind of are breathe freely without it. Like they, the guitars keep the da 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 na da da na na, but like, um, Lars is da 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 da. You know what I mean? He does all the da 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 da. He does all these Larsisms. You know what I mean? That are never same the second time he plays the song. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the spaces on where those large rhythms can fit, they need to be there, you know what I mean? Because the drums are catchy in themselves without the riff. And so together, it's so memorable. Yeah, it's funny you talk about the Larsisms. I, I, you might have seen this guy on YouTube, Josh Stefan. Um, yeah, he yeah, does pop. Fan. He does popular songs getting Larsed. Um, mm-hmm. I, just, I just discovered him recently. Very, very good sort of um, yeah Larsination of, uh, yeah. of of big uh, big metal songs. And as always with the show. Uh, at Metallica Pod, we reach out, we see what people think of the songs. Thank you to everyone that got in touch. Uh, Master of Pun said, even as the weakest song on Master of Puppets, which personally I disagree with, I think the thing that should not be is nowhere near as good as Left Messiah, but you know, that, that's your opinion, Master of Puns. He says that it kicks so much ass. Nick McCoviak, great friend of the show, says an underappreciated song, very poignant lyrics. Luke, Luke, who I mentioned before, we did the uh, cover CD, Kerrang! One with says, one of my favorites on the album, definitely underrated. Marcus says, the riff at 3 minutes 14 is my ringtone. And Enough said. Uh, Ulrich's hairline, which is a brilliant handle, says, uh, always loved it. Has become one of my favorites of Master of Puppets, especially the witchery weakening. Seize the sheep are gathering. Set the trap. Hypnotize par. Absolutely kick ass. Um, Freyd N says, I know it's about televangelists, but I'd like to think it's about politicians. Make a contribution and you'll get a better seat. And he also says, the transition to the galloping riff before the guitar solo never gets old. It's my favorite breakdown they've ever done. I also love the palm mute outro of the solo. Yeah. Absolutely agree. I think this has some of the top Metallica moments in my eyes, Left Messiah. I think it's, you know, again, one of the more slept on tunes. It's not going to be up there in most people's top 10, top 20, something like that. But I think altogether, it is an absolute triumph. And um, any, any, any closing thoughts on Leper? Any closing thoughts, really? It's, it's very funky. It's very heavy. And it's very thrashy at the same time. Some of James's angriest lyrics, they're very fun to dissect. And... Yeah, it's almost from a personal level, like the God that failed or bad seed, you know what I mean? Like, this is James's true anger dealing with, you know, the events with his mother and his view on religion at the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Love Messiah, it goes hard. Listen to it. It does, it does. I think James is religious, though, now. 
I think he yeah, found God, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I think he's. But they still play the song now. So. They do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it can still be under a guise, a pretense, perhaps. And you know, he's kind of going. He's not going at religion per se. More kind of, you know, those who. Pay yeah, the him. corruption within religion. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So and um, America, America, and religion at the time. You know, what I mean, when they were writing this, was you know, the the money. Yeah. Like send more money to the churches, things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, sort of mega church as yeah. which, which I guess still happens. But back then, yeah, you're right. It was a bit more pronounced and uh, and stereotypical. song orion is kind of totally cliff isn't it like this is his song you know this was played at his funeral obviously he wrote the majority of it i mean you can't listen to this and not just think of cliff right yeah sure this is he is um even though in the songwriting credits it's mentioned like uh james hetfield lars ulrich and then cliff burton yeah basically this is all Cliff's work. And James just added his uh, guitar vision, and Lars, of course, played drums, and helped to maybe um, polish this song, to make the transitions more smooth. But yeah, all the riffs are Cliff's, even the harmonies, which he eventually, initially wanted to play on bass, but that would be too too crazy, yeah. and the guys told him that. <laughs> so they did it on the guitar. Uh, Absolutely amazing work. Simple enough to for beginner bass players, actually. Mm. But some leaks are advanced, so you may spend several years to get it completely. But in general, it's a good track to test your bass skills. And in general, it's a good um, piece of music that represents what Metallica could do even without vocals. Absolutely. I mean, I, for me, this is the peak of their instrumental work. What do you think? Uh, yeah, sometimes I think that Orion could be a little bit more complex, maybe. And sometimes I uh, I hear those riffs, lines of Cliff, and I think, man, he could write a bit more complicated run, like, especially that... Like... His bass line is so basic there. The guitar riff is more um, um, sophisticated. But I, I thought, like, why Cliff didn't um, uh, make it more complex? And then I thought, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> you have to stop somewhere. <laughs> and they had limited time in studio, and they finished the song in studio. So they had to stop somewhere. And this is what made Orion such a such an exemplary metallica song yeah. yeah and as outlandish as some of his parts are that we'll get to he is always serving the song and i think yeah. the reason i love orion so much is not because oh my god cliff has this solo and blah blah it's just absolutely the composition of it i think is out of this world really and we open with cliff 
with that base of a worldly warble, it's quite threatening, it's getting louder and louder, but still very low in frequency, you know, that wall of sound, yeah. described very well in Joel McIver's book, uh, who also mm-hmm. wrote a book about Cliff. Have you read his Cliff book? I haven't read it. To Live to Die? Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, of course, I read mm-hmm. it. He says, quote, the intro is a layered sheet of bass notes, heavily processed and sounding almost orchestral. It also fades in, a highly affected device which adds to its mesmeric quality and then he quotes Fleming speaking about the making of it quote I fiddled around a lot with some AMS harmonizing stuff for the intro to Orion that stuff took a while to record and took longer and longer as the album went on and you know what what, what do you make of this this kind of you know this backwash of sound that opens Orion you know this intro this main riff is basically two notes Mm -hmm. two root notes E and uh, and B just minor major and Cliff just tried to figure out what he could do with just two notes, actually. And he went that way, tried to add more effects, figure out what's going to be great from it. And this is how the whole composition like developed. It starts from the really simple lick, but so massive because of all the effects. Mm. And then, you know... I'm still exploring this composition. I have a friend of mine from Sweden, and he was the guy who um, really helped me to break down this intro. Channels, right, left, and center. And finally, we heard that this is just single notes. He didn't play massive chords, like strum all the, yeah. all the four strings. Just simple notes. And this is... The, the simplest harmony in Metallica, E, B, B, and E, B, F sharp, basically. Mm-hmm. This is even against the classical music, like, no, you uh, you must not uh, harmonize fifths and fourths because it's, um, it's wrong. <laughs> but Cliff did something incredible and made um, a huge sound, which is, he didn't know how it's going to sound. He just went to the studio and worked with Fleming, and they just did it. Just and, taped it. Yeah, and in uh, in Back to the Front, which is something that I've covered with the Metal Your Podcast guys, the authorised visual history of the Master of Puppets album tour, they speak obviously about all the songs, and in the book you can see studio production notes for Orion, written on the sweet, silent studio stationery paper, which mm-hmm. is absolutely mad. And James says, quote, Cliff wanted giant sounds, and nowhere is more evident than Orion's intro. It's like an organ almost, just this giant wall of sound with the drums fading in, it's totally classical to me. Is it classical? Mm-hmm. Is it classical to you, Andre? Uh, it's more than classical. It's classical that went through uh, metal and reached something even higher. I don't know how. Sometimes people uh, call Orion um, something like progressive metal, some um, yeah. grains of progressive metal. It's kind of true, even though it's not. Um, it doesn't contain much of uh, odd time signatures, no. but still, but the sound, uh, yeah. By the way, um, speaking of the uh, organ, uh, there's been going this misconception on the internet among fans that what was the intro? Or, uh, organ, keyboard, or bass? 
And we hear in the rough mix of Orion, which was available on the reissue of Master of Puppets, in the rough mix or demo. Yeah, no, rough mix. That was keyboard, obviously. Yeah. And people went like, oh, that was keyboard. But in the final version, that was bass. It's it's so like it seems like Cliff just had this chord progression, these two three chords and he tried to uh, make the sound that would fit this this uh, lick better yes. and he tried this on the organ on the keyboard he had these chords but um, in the process of finishing the song we heard that the uh, rest of the bass line was there except no no uh, that was not the complete bass line but the guitars were done he just tried to figure out it um, on the run. And then they went for uh, the massive bass sound. And the organ was just a demo to see how yes. the chords work. Yeah. Yeah, it was the work in progress rough mix that you mentioned from yeah, November yeah, 1995. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which everyone can hear. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, an, it's a spooky, almost Count Dracula organ that's used. And I'm glad it got replaced. And, I, you know, it just adds to the enigmatic nature of the song that it begins with these giant tones. And I love the switch as well. So, you know, it's just the bass and drums here for the first... I'm pretty sure it's like almost the first minute, the first 57 seconds until uh, the riff comes 50, in. Uh, 54 seconds. 54 I remember seconds. this moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 54 then. Um, but I love the, the swap that happens. So we open with very loud bass, and then, you know, the drums can kind of be detected slightly, marching in, pounding, gentle at first, somewhat obscured. And then we have the switch around, where the drums become the dominant instrument as the guitars begin to crash in. Yeah, I remember when I first heard this song, like 10 years ago, I uh, listened to Metallica songs one by one, not uh, full albums. Like, hmm. I explored this song, then went to Load, one song from Load, so I kind of made it mixed. And remember, I, sorry, I, don't, uh, I downloaded, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've been there. Been there. <laughs> uh, it was, um, um, I did it, I was at my friend's, I think, house, and I, um, Downloaded it on my MP3 player, and I went home that evening. And I remember listening to the intro and thinking, "Well, this is gonna be something interesting." And then when the guitar enters, this uh, 54 second, I felt the goosebumps. I, I, I cannot, I can't, uh, I can't forget that feeling. It's still those goosebumps when I hear this transition. Yes. Ta -ra -ta 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 -ra -ta -ra mm -hmm. And guitars. Oh my God. This is the highest. Uh, yeah, this is the, uh, the peak of that Metallica. This transition, actually. Yes. This hype. This energy. I, I've been listening to this song for 10 years. I have covered it three times. I made three covers. Every time I revised it and made improvements. But I still have these goosebumps when I hear this transition. 
this particular moment, especially. Yes, yes. I love the riff. Love, love the use of the triad. Very inventive riff. Love the shape as well. And the fact that as the riff is going, the bass is still the same it is in the intro. It's still kind of haywired and garbled and cocked open. It's a great juxtaposition. Yeah, that's the point. Cliff just had these chords. And he wrote basically two riffs. The intro and the main riff. When he did it, did it. Mm -hmm. and he showed this to James, and James did the riff, yeah, in his style. Maybe I think Cliff uh, maybe advised him to use different int intervals, triads, and even a uh, second, like, um, but yeah, guitar is leading there actually. Cliff gave James uh, some room to uh, give the riff, the guitar riff, the lead feel. Yeah. Like here, the guitar is leading. But then uh, Cliff uh, does his first bass break. And this is a perfect example how the bass and guitars and everything is so balanced in the song. It's not all the way just bass doing distortion, mm -hmm. this uh, complex runs, chops, I don't know. This is a composition, and the main riff, guitar riff, is actually one of my most favorite. I believe I mentioned it as my favorite main riff on Master of Puppets, actually. A guitar, guitar riff, not Yeah, yeah, I think, that's a, basic. I think that's a very fair choice, yeah. And, I mean, when the guitar becomes the lead instrument in, I guess you can call it the chorus, you know, just with the very simple guitar shapes underneath it and Cliff with the, the lead bass. I mean, the tone here, again, is quite different to the intro. It's very overdriven, isn't it? I guess it needs to be, to a certain extent, to have it heard as clear as it is. Yeah, we, me and a few guys who know the... Equipment side better the sound the tone mm -hmm. the gear we discussed it and actually he might have used different uh, chains for the intro in the break this bass bridge I don't know in the bridge it's just overdrive and it might be just his Marley pedal just doing the overdrive mm. without what. But the intro is something that we still don't know what he used, actually. He could use uh, his um, um, even Big Muff, even though he didn't use it uh, for several years, probably. But in the break, it's it, it, it could be just his Marley, just on the uh, overdrive mode. And that was enough to make bass stand out in the mix. And in one interview, you remember, um, one the interviewer said that it's like keyboard dish. It sounds like keyboards mm. in that moment. Uh, Cliff said Cliff said that first of all he does not consider it as a bass solo. Uh, it's just a, a break, and yeah, that's bass. That's just overdriven bass. <laughs> yeah, and guitar um, is doing something simple there, but that's the point. Yeah. 
Yeah. What 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 a bass would normally do underneath a lead guitar? Yeah, yeah, yeah the roles yeah. have been swapped. And then as we get into the riff after that, dun 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 dun. dun I mean, it's so tight the way it snaps into it, and the bass is back beneath, serving a more traditional role there. It's just tighter and stronger. It has a real ruthless cast to it, doesn't it? Yeah. This lead has one tricky moment at the end because for a fingerstyle bass player, it's a uh, it sounds simple, but actually you have to mute this, make a little pause. And it's actually quite hard. <laughs> when you try this song, um, you always stumble upon it. And uh, I don't know. I, actually, I don't know what to say about this riff now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could have some um, special thoughts, but now I can't. Uh, have any in my mind <laughs> no it, it is right yeah the way it's played um the, the kind of where it's demanding your fingers on the fretboard as well it does have this snapping quality that your hands kind of all over the place but it's just so you know iron tight and then as we always have with these sort of instrumentals kirk introducing a lead by way of this kind of call and response no 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 you know a kind of a gorgeous lead i think kirk is on fire for the entirety of orion i love his playing here yeah and that's um, where the main riff comes back mm -hmm. like and he does it on the main riff not the da -da 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 -da. Yeah, yeah and yeah that's a great way to make the riff sound even better because when you repeat it um, it stays in your mind <laughs> and this riff deserves to be repeated more and more and yeah Cliff's um, Kirk's solos are his best years <laughs> yes his best years uh, these late 80s um, uh, how many solos mm -hmm. of Kirk in this song one, two, three, I think, I actually. Think, yeah. If, yeah, three solos. Um, elaborate solos, of course. He thought about it. Yeah. He re uh, rehearsed it. Um, yeah, Lars wasn't coaching him through in the hardwired studio. Like, these leads yeah. really sing. The, <laughs> you know, that play, it really yeah. feels like the song's collapsing. You know, it really has a narrative to it. It's really sorrowful and just has so much emotion charged into it. And, you know, I, I love that it kind of crescendos with this solo and then the song begins to break down, begins to disintegrate. And there's a gong splash and the silence and then penetrating like a rose through pavement is that gleaming cliff arpeggio. You know, Orion is often uh, mentioned in top 10, top 15, top 50 bass riffs of all time, yeah? Mm -hmm. And, I don't know, people, when they think of Orion, they think of this riff, yeah? Oh, this yeah. Dun, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. But I actually prefer that first bass break. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, so the, it's an odd choice. I respect the choice, but it's just, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, those arpeggios, they're so enclosed, aren't they? There's something quite mm. mysterious and alluring. You feel like almost Cliff's showing some of his real personality here. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I remember I made a video, 14 underrated bass riffs, and I played that um, Orion's bass break that I said I prefer to the interlude. Yeah. yeah. And people write, Orion is not underrated. 
of course, but that particular riff is underrated because people always mention that interlude instead of that bass riff. They do. Uh, they actually, people sometimes don't distinguish uh, underrated riff in one song and underrated song. This is quite different things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Orion is um, um, uh, moderately, maybe, moderately overrated, just slightly. Maybe because of Cliff's death. But it's... I recently did a survey. Uh, asked my subscribers to um, write three songs from each album uh, they um, like the most, their favorite songs. And Orion is second after Master of Puppets on the album. Wow. So Master of Puppets, then Orion, then Sanitarium. <laughs> you see? And it deserves it, actually. And that bass riff actually deserves to represent the whole song. This uh, soft, um, I don't know, interlude. It's not breakdown yet. Yeah. Breakdown was before. It's in, an interlude that was a separated piece of music. So they, they just found a way to glue these two parts together. And that worked out, like, great. Uh, one subscriber found it similar to uh, 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 oh my god, I forgot. My uh, friend to, in misery. No, no, no. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, got a lot of that DNA. In it, yeah. but, but I didn't see the similarity until the guy uh, pointed at it because because it's like wow, it's kind of similar, but I don't think that it's a um, uh, homage or a ripoff. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of similar. Yeah. But still, uh, Cliff took it from the anesthesia, actually. Thrice. Right, right. But in Orion, it's not a triad. It's it's uh, root, fifth, and octave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get slightly mired down in that, but I appreciate yeah. uh, the expertise we, here. We find similarities with classical music, yeah. with uh, riffs of other bands, uh, but that's not the point, yeah. Uh, I find this riff uh, very original, because he hadn't uh, written this before for Metallica. Uh, we heard from the Beltos intro. We heard um, what else he wrote. These harmonies for... Uh, creeping Death, Fates of Black, he is uh, screaming bass in Cthulhu, mm -hmm. and now he does something just bass, just softly played bass, and all the harmonies over it. And I don't know what came first, these harmonies or these ar um, arpeggios. He definitely had this chord progression first, chord progression. And he wrote these harmonies, wanted to play them on bass. And when Kirk and James took, actually James, James uh, recorded uh, all the harmonies, uh, took these harmonies to play on guitar, maybe Cliff just needed to come up with this arpeggio to have this basis for these guitar uh, harmonies. Mm -hmm. So maybe this came after that. Maybe, I don't know. 
we have to ask James. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. But one day. Uh, you know, as 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 the song does peel back into this slow section with the arpeggios, you know, it, it really is quite transcendent. Um, the, the the ambient harmonics carving out space in the song, and then you know, we, we just get to spend a little bit of time with the bass riff before the James harmonies come in. And, you know, these harmony lines are all time for me. There is such a, a swooning swagger that's still quite collected and patient. Like, I don't know if you've seen them playing this song live much on YouTube, but I watch quite a few editions and I forget where they are. But when they get to this part, and they played it about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. they're both lost in thought, clearly reminiscing about Cliff as they play it. And you can see Kirk like look over to James kind of lovingly because he knows what he's going through as he plays it. And it is, it, you know, even without them, you know, obviously this is before anything happened with Cliff. It wasn't related to that at all, but it does take on this quite ceremonial aspect doesn't it there is a sense of remembrance in this instrumental section that is probably tacked on from what happened last time but still feels that way of course uh, metallica have been through a lot and that moment in their career in their lives was very emotional and this song played on the funeral of cliff mm -hmm. uh it's it's like stays this way forever it will always be associated with Cliff, his death, his life, his everything. And of course, when they play this live, uh, it provokes some emotions in them, in the fans. And especially, I'm glad where, I'm so excited where, when the crowd uh, is singing this harmony, this riff, yeah. you know, instrumental song. And they sing it. They do it. So, especially in Latin America. For the first time, I heard uh, this main riff of Orion, ta -ta -ta -ta, um, sang by the crowd. And it, it, that was... Yeah, and the crowd also sings this harmony. So it creates some a vibe of unity that they remember Cliff and they appreciate what he did. And this harmony is, of course, a part of Cliff's soul. He he left on this composition. Yeah, and um, regarding this harmony, uh, this is also a tricky piece of music because they they have to uh, have a good timing in these bands mm. to bend these notes to the right pitch and not sound dissonant. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite hard to... Um, have this timing between James and Kirk. Uh, so, so they have to be careful with this song, of course. I remember that uh, live debut of the song in um, Rock and Ring, yeah? 2006, uh, yeah. 2005 it got debuted, actually. 6-6, uh, six, six, yes. Uh, on, so their, was... on their website, it's 5, San Francisco, California, November 13th. Uh, November 13th, but that was the live debut? They yes. Played it... I mean, I'm just going off their website. I know you're the uh, Metallica expert. But... They they uh, they played it several times, like partially, only interlude. But okay. the complete thing was played in Germany 2006, yeah. And um, Kirk had uh, technical problems with his guitar. And that was like an, I know, a sign that yeah. this vibe is so um, dense. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Because this is 
the first time they play this from the beginning to the end, and even gear fails because <laughs> of this tension. I want to see live performance of the song. Of course, this is maybe my most uh, wanted live song because maybe I so relate to it. I made three covers on it. <laughs> I have to see it live. <laughs> yeah, you deserve to see it live. And the way the harmonies progress as well, like one of my all-time favourite moments in Metallica's music is the James playing with na 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 like that that break there is just yeah always always takes my breath away just the the passage these guitars have over top what Cliff's arpeggio playing is just their best stuff some of their best ever stuff I like this part more than the band part because it's has better phrasing I don't know Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe um, it's more dynamical. And um, Cliff actually plays something similar, something um, more difficult. And it creates a little challenge for a bass player, for a guitar player to, uh, to not <clears throat> mess up in this part because of, especially if they... Uh, are going through this interlude without mistakes <laughs> and they have to keep it clean like yeah we have to do this song and this part especially clear because on Cliff's funeral uh, the interlude or the whole song was played don't you remember I'm not entirely sure I just know it was played at the funeral I've read it in a few books and that's all they seem to say so I don't know uh, so this part is like uh I don't have to swear. <laughs> oh, you can go ahead. <laughs> uh, um, you don't. Ha- no, I'm. I, I wanna. I don't wanna swear this time. <laughs> Just to mess up is this in this uh, part is. Um, I don't know. Cliff uh, would think like, go ahead, fuck up. Right. I I don't care. You, you played it live. We fuck up. We. This is uh, how it goes live uh, but as it progresses as it is getting close to the Kirk's solo it gets more dynamical it gets more complicated and uh, it was a challenge for me actually to play this interlude because of this constant repetition of these leaks with slight variations you know this every time Cliff played it a little bit different and to remember all the endings and then move to the harder part was a challenge for me and for guitar players too i think uh, so yeah and then yeah the... we, we have the the solo which is fantastic as well i love how the secondary rhythm guitar backs that backs that up with the power chord stabs and also during the harmonies as well, I should say, another guitar, a clean guitar is added. I don't know if you heard that. That effectively replicates the arpeggio that Cliff's playing. Yeah, that was a thing that I mentioned in my very first um, breakthrough video, Five Things You Might Not Notice in Metallica Songs. Mm-hmm. That, that elusive clean part that is not mentioned in any tabs, any guitar tabs. And it is not in the Metallica uh, master track. No, I didn't find this clean guitar in Metallica stems. Mm-hmm. It was there was several bass tracks, several guitar tracks distortion, 
and there's no clean, but I do hear clean guitar there. And it kind of repeats bass, but yeah. in its own way, uh, similar to Jason Newsted, his variation of Orion uh, interlude, where they played it mm-hmm. um, on the Black Album tour. He did this way, kind of. This, um, not actually tried, he played tried there. And um, we also, me and uh, a guy from, the guy from Sweden, we've, he figured out how to play this part. He tried to as- isolate this clean guitar. And actually this is a little, a little Easter egg, maybe, in Metallica's song, that they added later, just to emphasize the bass and to add another, um, uh, I don't know, vibe to this part. Because it's not going through the whole interlude. It's just no. these four bars or eight bars, just to make it a bit more breathing uh, for our ears. And what, what do you think of Kirk's solo just before Cliff's solo enters? Yeah, it's very it's it's like a great old school seventies rock progression, isn't it? As it begins. Yeah, and the whole solo, um, Cliff's solo was a continuation of this solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just said, "Kirk, I want to play it." I've, he just played the ending of Kirk's solo. Yeah, and thought, "Well, I could do that. That might uh, serve the song." Uh, so uh, this is one of Cliff's best works, this bass solo that he mm-hmm. played after Kirk. But actually, this is an adaptation of Kirk's solo. Yeah. So it's kind of, I don't know what to say about it. Um, this is Kirk's credit or Cliff's. <laughs> yeah. But the whole solo, we must remember that uh, Kirk uh, wrote um, mostly the Cliff solo too. Uh, that follows the, his guitar yeah. part. Yeah. And and that that's Cliff all over. You know, again, complimenting the song, making it thematically cohesive. And, you know, I know this must be a big deal for you. You know, so much Cliff material. You're obviously a very gifted musician. I've said before, I've seen you play this solo. Like, talk to me about Cliff's solo here. What what do you think of it? It's kind of a landmark piece of music in, for metal fans and anyone, really. This is... Uh, this piece of the song that everybody stumbles upon. They could play the main riff, the interlude, everything. But this moment, especially that, um, um, I don't know how to call this. It's tricky. Uh-huh. And you can't say, I can play Orion until you learn this little uh, piece of the solo. And uh, this sometimes is frustrating for bass players. They know they can play Orion in general, this main riff and stuff. But that solo is such a such a bummer that they can't get um, now. Mm-hmm. So they have to develop the technique, and then finally they can say they play play Orion entirely. That what I had been through. Uh, this is what I had to figure out myself. I didn't see anyone who played the solo in my town. So I just watched how Rob Trujillo did it. His fingers, how he um, did this himself. And tried to make it 
with my fingers. And this is uh, why Orion is such a great song. It has parts of all levels of difficulty. And in my compilation, 20 levels of Cliff's bass, I used three pieces from this song for three levels of difficulty. Uh, I believe the intro riff or the main riff was easy, the interlude was closer to medium, and the bass solo was one of the hardest. So Orion is all the levels. It's a essential bass work. It is. And, you know, it, it's brief as well, Cliff Solo. There's not even that much lead playing in it because it's harmonizing a lot of the time. And I love the giant bend that it opens with as well. And, you know, as a kid listening to this, I didn't even know this was Cliff. It took me a few years and seeing it mentioned in books and stuff and going back and be like, fucking hell, of course, that's bass. That's why it sounded so submerged and subnautical. Yeah, that bass solo at the end was... Uh, yeah, I also uh, thought that that's guitar, but that's everyone's mistake when they just hear the song and do, then don't don't know anything about Metallica and the song. Some people still know that "Home the Belt" also was the bass intro mm -hmm. or guitar intro. Even Les Claypool, when he was auditioning for Metallica, he didn't play the intro, and he thought, "Well, that's guitar, yeah." <laughs> and Ryan, the same story. But that's what Cleve did. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like he comes back to life for the 20 or so seconds there. It is just, it always stops me in my tracks whenever it happens. I always listen intently to it. I love the fact that, you know, he did this and that this is as part of the song as, as any other. We then get back into the final movement of the song. Um, we're led by a squawking Kurt lead. It's quite phenomenal, very memorable. And again, to me, the song has a sense that it's you know, falling apart. Um, everything's kind of collapsing and going to hell. And it's just a wild ride, isn't it? The last sort of 90 seconds or so of Orion. Yeah, that's. Uh, um, did you read this um, little story about how we may represent, um, not represent, oh my god, um, how to think of this song as a story? Mm. Like the, a, a spaceship uh, going through the Orion constellation, and the end part is what's like it's going away, like fading away. It's. It's been on this planet in this constellation. The interlude was like they uh, landed on the planet and they see the stars above them. The intro was that they are approaching this planet and all the maybe asteroid attack on them, bombarded. Okay. Da -da 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 -da. At the end, that was they are leaving the planet. Hmm. That in short, just how the guy um, wrote about it. And actually, I believe... Not, not believe, but actually I think that the outro of Orion sounds better live than on studio version because it's more a bit faster. It's a bit more filled with uh, drums, not just ta 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 ta, but Lars adds some uh, maybe double um, bass. I mean drums. It's more. Metal, maybe it's more speedy. Okay. So yeah, this is. I think that the breakdown of Creeping Death and the outro of Orion sound uh, much better live because they are more dynamical. 
I understand. Yeah, yeah. I, feel, I feel that as well. And then we go back into, you know, the riff of old, which, which yeah, live does have a bit more teeth on it. And from there, the song, as we faded in, it yeah. fades out. It, it grows dimmer. It, it, you know, it continues beyond the listener. It doesn't end with this giant crash of chords. It just sort of, yeah, just kind of not not whimpers out, but is uh, you know is snuffed slightly. Um, any uh, any final? I mean, we've spoken a lot about this song. Any final thoughts on Orion from you, Andrew? Um, again, this is a great piece of music for beginner bass players. They uh, started when they can't do anything on bass. They just try to play it, and they can play some riffs. And as they progress. As bass players, they can get the whole song. And in terms of songwriting, this is how you write songs without vocals that sound so easy, like to understand even. Eight minutes, eight minutes and 26 seconds, yeah? Yeah. But it just, it's so, it just flies by. It really it's, does. You can't... Um, you lose the sense of time when you hear this song. This is a metal version, a metal rendition of classical uh, uh, sonatas. I don't know. Yeah, I concur. Uh, and I, I, when I had Ray Burton on the show, I remember him talking about Cliff bringing the harmonies home and Ray and his wife Jan actually waltzing, dancing to them. And they, <laughs> they do have that um, you know, joyous canter. And as we mm. always do on the show, we open it up to you guys as well. At Metallica Pod, follow us on the Twitter. Um, you know, I like to ask a day or two before people's thoughts on the songs. Always get some good responses. Um, just to read out a few, Sabbath Bloody Podcast, Roy, everyone go check out that podcast. If you're into Black Sabbath in the slightest, fantastic show. He says, my favourite of the instrumentals, driving, ever-changing and always engaging. So much is going on in there, but it still feels so open. It's truly an astonishing composition. It would be stellar if we got an S&M 2 rendition to honour it. One for the boys to impress the orchestra. Ralph says mm -hmm. Metallica's best instrumental by far and probably the best of all time. Cliff's lead bass work is phenomenal for this amazing piece of art. It has a very classical feel. Sabra says godlike. John Bradshaw says greatest piece of their music. Couldn't write anything close to that about Cliff. It shows what they've missed since he's died. Gary saying quite possibly the greatest instrumental in the history of recorded music. Elizabeth saying unforgettable. I mean, people are going wild here, clearly. Um, you know, and MTI finally saying amazing. So happy they put the lead bass actually in actually in the lead in the mix, which is sometimes a problem even in pre-Justice Metallica. I mean, Andre, obviously we've got SM2 coming up as people reflected there. They've got to do Orion, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. I hope they will figure out how to make it with the symphony. This is 
a momentous um incredible incredible track you know uh, unbelievable uh, in terms of quality yeah. and i love the beginning um you know that pat- uh, like they kind of ac echo yeah. intro that patented cliff burton magic like oh yeah definitely i like that's what i was doing in my notes it was like that cool intro like that yeah. starts off so well yeah it really does it really does and it's just you know the the slow sort of whale song uh swells of the whole thing right. and just you know i don't know it, it's such a deceptively ambient beginning to what is such a you know frantic uh tail end of the song yeah it's like really similar to battery in that kind of mm. end mm. like i think that song like, if i was kind of well they both kind of have the same kind of like flow to the whole way through and they both like start and end the albums like two songs really similar Mm-mm. yeah yeah and even James's melody, like it's almost scattershot gunfire, like battery. The way he's kind of just blurting uh, out these really powerful metaphors for sheer masculine, you know, wanton destruction. Mm-hmm. Actually, just um, a quick thing from I don't know if you checked out Back to the Front, uh, Kieran. Um, it's kind of like a photographic history of the Master of Puppets era. I think I may actually have that somewhere. Oh, right. <laughs> and stuff around you and it's just kind of disappeared yeah 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 it's it's fucking crazy and they have a great section in the middle uh, about them recording the whole album and they talk about damaging specifically james hetfield says there was definitely a lot of weird experimental shit going on with cliff especially we'd hear these alien-like sounds coming from his amp mm. i remember him recording the intro to damage inc he was just layering and layering the effects we said cliff you can't hear the melody but he was doing his thing head banging and just completely lost in his own world um, and it is that kind of miasma, isn't it? Just to fo- let's just focus on this kind of. I think it's about a minute twenty that kind of you know is is this like retreat uh, away from like the onslaught that the majority of the albums has. But it does have this kind of ambient meditative quality, doesn't it? Yeah, like Metallica during those like years before you know they started doing their kind of sound. Now they always did like throw in cool little things every now and then that you could catch. Like you know, it's also the whisper part. There's that kind of ambience to it. It's all like kind of unconventional for that genre at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unbelievably so. And also, it's it's not only just he's making cool sounds, but you know, melodically they're based on some mm-hmm. real complex, interesting conceits. And Kirk actually says in the book as well. Uh, Cliff played me an early demo of the Damage Inc. intro on the Rider Lightning tour. That bit with the volume swells. I said, "Fucking hell, it's great!" And he goes, "Yeah, man, it's based on a back piece called Come Sweet Death." Then he played me the actual back piece. And I said, that sounds nothing like what you just played me. And he said, great, great. That's good news. So, you know, Cliff is always just drawing from this, like, infinitely mature, creative wellspring. About Cliff, like, yeah, he was, like, they always say all the time, Cliff was, like, ahead of them so much, like, musically. Like, he knew everything there was to know at the time. Like, he's given, shown them classical stuff. He's shown them things like Misfits and all that, which they just never knew about. Hmm, hmm. And uh, there's a great point, um, and to, to end my series of quotes on the genius of Cliff, uh, from Mick Wall's uh, Enter Night, and he's basically talking about that piece of original classical music. Uh, the piece Cliff's referring to is Come Sweet Death from the 69 sacred songs and arias that Johann Sebastian Bach contributed to Gael Christensen Schemelli's, I hope I'm saying that right, musical songbook, which contained nearly a thousand song texts for voice and accompaniment, but written down as a figured bass, musical notations indicating 
intervals, chords and non-chord tones in relation to a bass note providing harmonic structure, a very Burton-like musical preoccupation. So just a bit of extra context there that I find really interesting to share with you guys. But, um, you know, moving forward then out of this kind of swampy, hazy, you know, um, magical, I have to say that use word again for Cliff, this intro, going into the main guitars... I love the intro, I don't know about you, it feels like machinery is kind of revving up, it starts quick and then just gets quicker and quicker. Uh, it's like a very punchy kind of riff, like, it's got kind of a punk thing to it, I mm. think, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Or at least compared to the rest of the stuff, like, it's really fast, it's just rapid fire, and it's like, like I said, it's very, you can very clearly see a similarity to battery in it. Yeah, yeah, it just, that, that punishing open E... Like, that's such a staple of metal riffs everywhere, that chug, but the ferocity, it, it almost takes my breath away when the main riff kicks into this song. I'm like, fucking hell, this is an absolute, you know, machine gun fire. Uh, it's very intense. I like how there's a bit of silence where damaging would be whispers as a kind of pause, and and that's classic Metallica, the juxtaposition of the stop-start. Yeah, like, they like to just throw in cool stuff and everything like that, like, just unconventional kind of things for metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a lot of this song as well, it's not you know, a lot of metal bands, Sabbath particularly, can get kind of stuck on it's a riff and we're just playing this riff throughout the song and that's fine. But mm. Metallica always have little edges. Like, they know how to write stuff like James in particular. Like, all the riffs just have a little movement here or there at the end or a little variation. Or, you know, I like um, when James is singing over that riff, the the one that goes from the A sharp to the G, which is just, I mean, I love that fucking riff. But sometimes he'll play single note phrases to end the verse rather than just the heavier down mutes. And it just it works so well like i really um listening to just purely listening to the rhythm guitars of this song i just I, some of the best metallica work for me mm-hmm. i like they like very punky it's yeah. really just the thrashiness of it is fucking awesome like yeah. Yeah. metal like that was metallica during their absolute peak when they were just so angry and they, they had some amount of intensity in those yeah. albums like from Kill em All to, let's say, Black Album, they are, uh, you know, just so intense, so angry, and just mm. proper good, like, just yeah. amazing. Music, yeah. You know? yeah, really, really, truly amazing. Like, the best of its kind, I think, this sort of music. Like, you know, I, I, I adore this song from top to bottom. Just... I just, I, you know, I just love everything about it. I love that kind of slow-brewing star into those really intelligent, you know, the riff construction, the rhythms, and even the... What do you think about the whisper, him whispering Damage Incorporated? I think it's pretty cool. Like, you know, it's obviously it's such an intense and angry song. You have, like, that wee split-second break where it's just whispering something. Yeah. It's like, you know, something that you wouldn't really think about doing, but they do, and it kind of keeps you like, oh, what's that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a dynamic in of itself, definitely. Yeah. And it could come off cheesy, like, you know, to a certain extent in love songs, you know, uh, sort of sultry females whisper in the chorus and stuff. But, he, you know, it, it works, as as with most things with Metallica. It shouldn't work, but it makes it even better. Right. Well, to be honest, it's like, you know, the music as a whole is pretty cheesy in of its own. Right, like, right. the lyrics are very cheesy as well, but it all works, you know. It's like, it's just a fun song. It's fun music, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the lyrics... Again, the comparisons to Battery stand out because it's just kind of like, you know, yeah. a few phrases, um, you know, living on your knees conformity or dying on your feet for honesty and blood will follow blood as well. And, and I, him screaming that section over those open chords a bit breathier. Love that section. I uh, like the lyrics are definitely not poetic or anything, but again, no. John Dunn's really just intense, really straight to the point aggression, which was what was so good about Metallica at that point, and what I think they kind of lost when like Cliff left and started going a bit more 
rocky right you know right. with like reload and all that oh yeah yeah i enjoyed uh-huh. that time like they didn't try they just didn't really try too much they just knew what they wanted to do and it was just so good mm, mm. honesty is my only excuse which i think is quite quite poetic actually but but i get what you're saying i even like damage jackals ripping right through you as, as the kickoff of the third uh, uh verse is uh, really it just powerful. sounds really cool you know like it does metal, so. it does yeah a damage jackal yeah it just sounds uh pretty awesome and um we get into kind of i guess the bridge that that riff that feels a bit like a dave mustaine riff that james eventually sings over you know i love love that but a lot of riffs are composed from an open e and a and a seven and a five on the a so you know but but it's in that mold uh euthanasia killing road especially it reminds me of that song and then we have james sort of screaming go and then we go into the solo which is i think one of kirk's best solos is a fantastic piece of work oh yeah definitely like it just sounds so cool and that is like that is like trademark Metallica solos. Like they're just so fucking like like fast, and you know, but and it got past that certain period where you know now their solos are like four or five minutes long, but this yeah. one's just straight to the point, short and sweet, and it does the song justice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fucking killer solo. It's a long. It's quite long in of itself when you think it's going to end, but it always comes back. It's playing with the damaging backing behind it that allows for the space but it's just got some of my favorite stuff it's got some really rhythmic nice pieces in there there's the wah sounds excellent as well like i always critiques kirk for war but i think the wah just gives it so much space and so much energy as it's going into the tail end of the solo oh, yeah it's one of the few instances where it's where it's actually worked and yeah. it's been kind of forcing it for the past god knows how many years yeah yeah but at this point it was working for him it really it really was um again in back to the front i think kirk says he was inspired by uh, Steve Vai a lot during the recording of this album. More for the sounds, I think, the unique fretboard sounds, but you can, Steve Vai does a lot of that, like on Tender Surrender and For the Love of God. He'll use the wah to bend upwards just to create a real singing portion of the solo uh, to take stock. And, you know, Kirk does that. Like, I have to say, this, this solo, I've been listening to this song a lot, uh, uh, obviously in prep for this episode, and the solo is always the highlight for me of a brilliant song, but this solo, I just, it, it just, it, the cherry on the top. Yeah, like, you know, it's very legato, and you can also tell with a classical kind of theme to it. Like, even though it's so fast and so intense, you can still hear the complexity of it and, like, the old-school kind of style that Cliff clearly influenced to the plane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cliff, I think he has two writing credits, co-writing credits on the whole album, but clearly, you know, his influence is right, so deep. You know, directly do it. His influence kind of being there brought everyone up to his level. Yeah, yeah. And he was the guy they all looked up to. You know, even though the same age musically was so sophisticated, even though he joined the man later, you know, he wasn't necessarily a founding member. Obviously, he is in many senses, but, you know, he wasn't the original bass player, but he just informed them. Uh, yeah, and, it, you know, I love this song. I mean, I don't know if you saw recently, uh, Master of Puppets Remaster has been released. Uh, I'm not fortunate to own it physically, but good old Spotify has all the stuff on there. So I've been listening to all loads right, of well- it. And uh, there's two songs. There's Damage Inc. There's kind of an early demo, which is just vocalless, which is quite cool. And there's also from James's riff tape in 1985, and it's him just doing the riffs like really well, like really raw. Like just I explain, he's, he's exploring just some four track or some shit. It sounds fucking great. I don't know if you know, but on the demos, it was like like he doesn't necessarily know the words, but he knows the melody. So there's lots of him doing that, and it's it's a treat to listen back to. It really makes you appreciate the level of craftsmanship running through this song. Oh yeah, definitely, man. Like, I've not had a chance to really check it out just because, no. to be honest, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of ignorant to what what's been released right now. To be yeah. honest, um, 
I don't know, I've just not really been keeping up with it, but I'll need to check it out because I like, I like hearing like, the rarities and the demos and stuff when bands bring the stuff out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. And I, I just stumbled on it like the other day, actually, but it's, you know, it's awesome. So anyone listening, I'm sure it's on all the streaming services as well, but check it out if you haven't listened already. I might do an episode on what's on there because it's some really cool stuff. Um, any closing thoughts on uh, Damage Inc., Kieran? Um, just generally, you can tell it's just such an amazing song because the production on it is fantastic. Like it, com- it still competes with like modern stuff being brought out today. Technology's come so far, and everything off a of master of puppets and damage ink and battery and stuff like that, especially. But with this, but with these songs, they compete against it today. Even though the technology's come so far ahead, master of puppets was ahead of its time in that sense, like oh, production yeah. wise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it's timeless absolutely timeless right. you know uh unbelievable song comment below what do you think of damaging let us know if you don't like it don't listen to this podcast please stop listening nice, uh, unsubscribe we don't need you 